Oh, boys, we are back for another week of SVS Fly Fishing and Podcasting. Man, I heard this song yesterday for the first time in like... Since 04 when it came out? I was going to say probably 10 years. Oh, God, I love this tune. So, um, hey, we got a guest. Uh, we have to be calling in like three minutes. But tonight's show is being brought to us by Predator Fly Gear. Check them out, PredatorFlyGear.com. Sims Fishing. Fish it well. SimsFishing.com. Check out Urban Fly Company at UrbanFlyCompany.com. Eric's Hooks. Tying in Eric's Hooks. Eric'sHooks.com. Uh, check out our boy Ryan Evans at Queen City Guiding. Why not fishing in there at the dock? And since it is the second Sunday of the month. What? Yeti, built for the wild? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> and since it is the second Sunday of the month, we are going to be joined by our good, good, great pal, Steve Pogo. So uh, we're going to go and give him a call, man. And since it's the second Sunday of the month, we are back with our reoccurring guest, Bogo. What's happening, buddy? Nothing much, guys. How are you guys doing on this fine Sunday? Oh, we're living the dream, man. Oh, we we got plenty of topics to talk about with you, but man. <laughs> so, That's awesome. I can't, I can't believe it's been a month already. It goes by fast. It does, man. I, and I love being able to catch up with you once a month. It It's nice. Speaking of catching up with you once a month, I saw you did a little something-something last week. Did you, oh, a little a little musky fishing. That's what it looked like, man. Yeah, yeah. The good old um, Susquehanna was coming alive a little bit, but we're going to keep that on the DL because we're you know waiting for the real season to start here. Alrighty, we can do that. We can. Uh... No, I'm kidding. In Pennsylvania, it's, it's <laughs> open twenty four twenty four seven. That does that sound right? Twenty four seven. It's open uh, three sixty three sixty five, man. It's like yeah, McDonald's. It's New, York, New York has a season. But I didn't fish in New York, for anybody who's listening. I fish in Pennsylvania. Okay. So did you get to see many fish, or are we, we keeping it all on the DL? Um, no, we did. We did. We saw several fish. You know, it's still, uh, you know me, I like to, I'm like a technician. I love talking water temperatures. But yeah. uh, we, did see a few, we did see a few fish. We got a fish, obviously. Um, and the, the water temperature is just, here in the Northeast in Connecticut and New York and Western or Eastern Pennsylvania, I think from last year, we're about two weeks behind schedule from where the water temperatures were last year. So like the pike are not fully in pre-spawn and you know, the muskies spawn after the pike. So um, that, that water temperature is still pretty chilly, which is not a bad thing, especially for pike. But uh, I think, you know, as far as like seeing consistent pre-spawn fish, either pike or musky, I think we're still a couple weeks away on the pike and, you know, maybe two or three weeks away on the musky where it's going to get, it should get really active, in my opinion, and based upon, you know, fishing this time of year. With, um, with that being said, um, up around your, your neck of the woods where you're doing your pike fishing, what, what are your water temps? We're, you know, we took a, I took a water temperature just yesterday, and obviously we had that really nice warm-up. Um, this week, and I'm sure you guys had it too. I looked at your temperatures. It looks like most of the eastern part of the states was getting pretty warm. But we got up to about what I took in the afternoon was about 37 degrees. Um, so, and then tonight it's going to be 11 degrees here in northern Connecticut. So, and then tomorrow's going to be cold and it's windy. So, I think that's going to come right back down. But, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a spike in the last three days where it might have even touched like 38, 39. Um, but it's still, it's still fluctuating pretty good depending on the time of the day. 
Yeah, I know. I I looked at our gauge, uh, what yesterday, and ours was forty two. You so, had forty two. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's 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 great. That's good. That's good. Musky pre spawn water. Yeah, it is. Yeah, but but around have you guys have you guys been out musky fishing at all? No. <laughs> Today was really the first day I've been out fishing, like <clears throat> fishing fishing this calendar year. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. I had one float that went, you know, was kind of bad just because it was, we got ballooned on the river in two hours and a six, seven hour float. And wow. other than that, yeah, today was like the real only day I really felt like I was actually going to, you know, had a chance, but we didn't see anything. I, I heard well, you guys lost a phone today. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, we're going to get in that, in our, a deep. T- oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't want to. No, yeah, no, no. Well, yeah, we'll get, we'll get into podcast, that. Right? So, so <laughs> since you brought it up, uh, Pogo. You know, or I don't know if Chad's ready, but to get into our first topic, let's do some deep yeah. thoughts with Pogo. So, yeah. superstition. What do you? What do you? What are your thoughts on superstition in fishing? Or I guess in general. I am. I am. A, that's a great. It's it's such a great topic. Um, I am so superstitious. Superstitious from the time. Like if I have a trip that day, or you know, fishing in general, whether it be musky fishing or pike fishing. But I I have so many superstitions from the minute I walk out of the door of my house and get in my truck. Um, you guys want to hear a few of them? Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So I have like a turkey, uh, a hawk, a crow. I have a bunch of feathers in, the, in my truck, like um, up where the light is. And uh, I have to touch each one of those before I get on the water or before I leave my truck and they're putting the boat in the water. Is it in a certain um, order? Like you have to touch them? That? Do you have to touch them in a certain order? No, no, I just kind of give them a touch and, you know, you know, kind of say a quick uh, prayer to the fish gods that we have a safe and successful day. I always say that in my head before I get out of my truck. Um, and then I have, you guys know the, 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 the guys from um, Maine, Jeremy and uh, Jeff Faulkner and those guys? Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, they gave me a token back in Wisconsin when I was guiding them in 2017 it's like the, I think they call it, you know, the main musky tribe. And, he, and Jeremy made these really cool, like, half-dollar size tokens that are, like, um, laminated and have, like, lo- their logo on it and stuff. So I always keep that in my in my pocket. Um, so that's kind of, and, and that just started, um, you know, back in 17. But the other one is I always listen to the Humpty Dance. I think you and I have had this conversation before. Yes, we um, have. <laughs> for some reason, if I'm having, like, a bad run or a bad week or a bad couple days, or I need to change the juju around the, the humpy dance comes on either in the boat or in my truck. Um, so yeah, to, to say that I'm um, superstitious is probably an understatement. So like today we had a, we had an issue and Chad, Chad gets on me about it and I, I love bananas. All right. I love, yeah. them. I love eating bananas. So, but he eats them like he doesn't go, Face or uh, he doesn't go banana to face; he goes face to banana. Oh, absolutely! But uh, <laughs> what kind of real man doesn't? <laughs> but uh, you know, awesome. are you are you crazy on that one about having a banana in the boat? That's why I had two bananas on the boat today, and Chad told me that's why that's- I jacked my I tossed my phone out into the river. <laughs> so if you know if somebody has like like for example Jay with with the bananas like if you were in my boat and you really have had success with having bananas in the boat like I'll go with that I'll go with the flow. Like I'm not going to ruin your mojo. 
Um, I'm not going to try to, you know, interrupt that, uh, that shui that you've got going on with that superstitious, so to speak. So I'm, I'll go with it. You know, if somebody's got a superstition that they really believe in, like, who am I to say that that doesn't work for them or does not going to work for them? So I, I would be all for it if that's something that worked. Now, if we were in the boat and you had two bananas, you lost your phone, and you didn't catch a fish, I wouldn't let you bring a banana back. <laughs> so what you're saying is you don't think your superstitions outweigh someone else's superstitions? No, because, you know, I'm a true believer and, you know, we create our own, our own reality, right? And I believe that, you know, what you think is what you get sometimes. And, you know, in the sport of fishing, especially with ESOCs, we've got to put everything in our favor that we can. And um, I would never get in the way of somebody else's superstition, not at all. Oh, man. Is it... <laughs> I tell people it's you're holding your mouth. It. It's got to be how you're holding your mouth if we're not catching fish. Because I always catch fish. I tell people you're not holding your fucking mouth right. Did you hit the switch? I say things like this to the guys I fish with, and and they they don't understand. It's got to be something. Can't be me, right? It could never be the the. Operator. No, it's not the angler. No, hell no, <laughs> no, no, no. Back in the day, no, I mean, I'll I'll change flies just for superstitious purposes. Like, oh, this fly did really good last week. Let's just let's go with this and just, you know try to turn the turn the energy around. Back in the days when I used to dip, I used to think you're not holding your jaw right actually made made some sense. Just like, oh yeah, I need a, I need another dip. And, but since uh, since I quit dipping, that doesn't uh, doesn't correlate anymore. Oh, Maybe you a, just need well, another beer. You're not you're not level yet. <laughs> that was something my dad always would say to us. You're not holding your jaw right. Yeah, man. That was it. I got a I, I have a quick, very interesting superstitious story from. I just thought of this. This was probably like six years ago. There was a guy in my boat, and he was. We were talking about this whole subject, and we were laughing and joking. And I was telling some of my little corks that I believe in, and he was telling me his. And we didn't catch a fish for like six hours. So I had this idea. I'm like, because we were trying to think of something we could switch up. I said, dude, why don't you fish left-handed? Either obviously he was right-handed, and he's like, I've never done, I've never done that before. And like probably like the sixth cast left-handed, he had an eat. Um, you know, it was a decent sized pike, probably like 32, 33 inches. And he fumbled like the strip set because he was, you know, doing it left handed. <laughs> and, and boy, did we laugh out loud for like at least 15 minutes. It was hysterical. So there you go. Try, try fishing left handed if it's not working. Man, we should try that today because we weren't getting squat to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So here, it's, it, it, it's, it's superstitious. It's a, I mean, Stevie Wonder wrote the best song in the world, right? Absolutely. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's one of my favorite, probably top 20 songs. So, I, you know, there's something to it. Do you ever get into the, the Lucky Socks, Lucky Gutchies, anything like that? Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. I've got a Lucky Thermal shirt that's got holes in it. It's probably 12 years old. <laughs> Can't throw that out, sir. Never. <laughs> no. I wore it once. I think I was on my I, – I did a trip. I went – came home. I did a few things. I went to my parents. It was like a Sunday. And it was like probably in the, like the late spring and went have, I went to go have dinner with my parents. I think my, like my brother, his wife was there and my niece, my nephew, my girlfriend at the time. And I took my sweatshirt off and I had this thermal thing with hole, like holes. It was stained. And my mom just looked at me. She's like, I raised you better than this. Why are you wearing that shirt? <laughs> so I, I had to explain to her why. To look. Oh, Steven, take that off. Let me let me get like you something nice. <laughs> no, I understand. I got a few shirts like that that they definitely have more holes than shirt, and it's yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what's I wrong mean, with me. Gu- we're guys. Remember, like when we were younger, and you go on a date, you wear your lucky underwear. I mean, come on. It all. I think it all started there. 
Uh, absolutely. I hope they fall on her floor. Is that the one with no <laughs> no no stains on them? Yeah, yeah. The newest pair. <clears throat> these ones don't have streaks. I gotta wear these. Oh, that's great. So hey, um our next subject. Um yeah. coming up in I think two weeks is Pennsylvania first day at trout. What what are your feelings on first days of species? Like we can even go first day deer hunting. And do you have any like yeah. fun first day stories? Oh God, yeah, this, this is great. I didn't even know that this was a topic because this I've got a lot of them, but I got to think of some. But I mean, you know, one of the most important things to say to you know on, on, to, to everybody listening is obviously when we grew up as kids, whether it be hunting or fishing, like opening day of fishing season when I was a little kid, it was like Chris, it was probably better than Christmas morning. You know, I'd go with my, my father and my uncle, and we'd go to some river or a lake where they stocked the shit out of it with trout. And, you know, just, you guys remember how excited you were when those days happened? I'm sure you experienced oh, that. Jason and I used to call each other, like, a, month, a month before. Like, hey, dude, there's 25 the days down. left. There's 20 days <laughs> yeah. left. There's 16 days left, dude, till trout. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, like, there was me, my brother, my father, it was a big tradition. We used to hunt every opening day of gun season. I don't really hunt much anymore, um, but that was a big tradition. Obviously, trout season, and like in April here in Connecticut, was always the third April and third Saturday in April, which always stunk because I think Connecticut or New York, which wasn't far away, like they opened up April 1st. So it was always like this three weeks in April that, you know, you just were coming out of your skin to get, you know, to go fishing. Then obviously, as you know, we all become more avid fishermen and fish in different parts of the country and different waters and different species it's really no there's really no end of the season so to speak anymore um but uh yeah i mean i know that like you know opening day of muskie season in new york is a big thing um in the susquehanna river which is not far from me about three hours we i do try to get out there if i can if i'm not guiding but uh yeah i mean i've got a ton of stories about opening day it's just i, I couldn't think of one off the top of my head if you guys want to share one i'm all ears yeah i mean I remember my very first first day of trout. I ended up staying at night Jay's house back in the day. Oh, shoot. What was that? Fifth grade? Yeah, fifth or sixth grade, Fifth maybe? or sixth grade. Yeah. We'd stay up till, I don't know, 11 o'clock at night, sorting our corn, putting our corn in little containers, yeah. you know? And then uh, Jay's sister woke up in the middle of the night and went to get something out of the fridge and knocked the millworms over. They're all over the <laughs> They're all over the kitchen floor. And she comes out and... I was sleeping on the couch in the living room. She wakes me up and says, Chad, you got to you gotta clean these millworms up for me. I was in my gutchies. You know, I had no couth. I'm walking out yeah. and I clean up all these millworms for his sister, and no one knew the better. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. And that was, and that's like the innocentness of, like, fishing, right? And, and just the excitement since we were kids. And, you know, I'm sure you guys get people asking you all the time at your regular jobs or – through like you know family functions like well, well you fish a lot huh like you know what you're really into it and if they only knew like our passion at such a young age and that's one of the reasons why i love like guiding like you know fathers and sons or sometimes like the father will hire you for to take their kids out for the day you know it could be you know 10 12 14 years old but that's why i love passing it along to the younger generation because i remember just being there like eyes wide open and just so jacked up to fish and, you know, just kind of share that experience with younger generation to me is always real special when, when I'm on the boat with, uh, like, you know, younger kids. Speaking of that, is there any uh, anything special that you have to do for, for younger kids to, to try to make a day good for them, 
while you're guiding them? Yeah, no, yeah, that's that's like the most important thing, uh, Chad, and that's 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 a huge point just to kind of bring up around, you know, being being you know whether you know whether you're taking out your niece or your nephew or your guide and you're guiding kids. I mean, the one thing that I always try to do is make sure they have fun. Number one, keep it light in the boat. You know, tell stories, ask if they're okay. You know, ask them a lot of questions. You know, sometimes kids will take a while to warm up to adults. So, you know, what I always love is like when you first start out the day, they don't say two things and then, you know, they're having trouble, but you kind of work with them, but you don't want to overdo it because you don't want to make them feel comfortable. But then now by the end of the day, they're telling you like their whole life story or the video games they play, their girlfriend in fifth grade, like, you know, like all the stories just come out as a day progresses. But I think just making it really comfortable for them and, and make sure they have a good time. And then there's like the whole like fly fishing versus spin fishing. So I'll, if the father and son or the kids come out and they're like, okay, yeah, we're going to fly fish. I'll always make sure I have spin rods in case they get tired of fly fishing or, you know, they're new at it and, you know, they're just struggling where they might catch a fish or two, but when you put the spin rod in their hand, they kind of loosen up a little bit. They don't have to worry about so much about if they're doing it right or wrong and then go back to the fly rod. So I just always try to incorporate something that's going to make their day a little bit more fun and easier but I would have to say, like, some of my best days on the water is watching, and I had one this September, watching, like, you know, a young young man or young woman catch, like, like a 30 to a 40-inch pike. Like, there's their eyeballs, and they're just how excited they are, and they're, like, eyes wide open. They're just jacked. It's, it's probably one of the most special things in the world. Uh, I'm getting goosebumps hearing you be all jacked up about, about it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, there, I, the real quick story. I know we're getting off topic. I know we've got a long night ahead of you guys, but I'll say real quick. So I had a father and son. He had twin sons. So he, he came out with one of his sons the first time, then came out with the other son the second time. The first son, uh, the first day, the twin, he, he caught like I, probably like a 28, 30-inch pike. He missed a bigger one, caught a bunch of smallmouth. And then the weekend later, he this gentleman brought his other son, and his other son caught like a 36-inch pike. And it was just, he fought it like, a, like the kid probably caught 10 fish in his life, but I was just coaching him through it as it was, he was in the, in the moment. And he totally like more than an adult, like listened to everything I was telling him. And he was like in the moment, he was like fighting the fish around the bow of the boat. And I told him what to do. And then the fish, it was a big, big pike, you know, especially for a 12 year old, the pike was going underneath the boat. I told him what to do. He did it. And then we got the fish in the net. And this kid, like, was lit up for the rest of the day on the boat and just kept on saying, oh, I can't wait to show my brother this photo. He's going to be so jealous. He's like, that thing, he's like, that thing was a dinosaur. He's like, Mr. Pogo, he was calling me. He's like, Mr. Pogo, I didn't really believe what I saw when I first saw it eat my lure. He's like, I didn't believe it. I thought it was a log. <laughs> so just to have those moments is real special. No, that's really cool, man. <laughs> Mr. Pogo. Deep those thoughts by Mr. Pogo. And those, uh, those those moments might, you know, change that kid's life to want to do that on a consistent basis, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Make him passionate yeah, it's, about it's, it. You, you mean beat his brother's every... ass? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm you. Oh, you're fine. Yeah, no, that that was great. You you just created fire in their life at home, man. Yeah, yeah, so much fun. So, And the father, we, we talked a few times this winter. He just called me to catch up and... You know, and, and as you guys know, like that's that's just how we're all becoming friends, and that's what's beautiful about this sport, man. It's just the relationships you build, and just being a good person, it just comes back. Yeah, man. That, like I said, the the friendship is the best part about it. Yeah. So um, exactly. 
Is there anything that you want to hit on this month, Steve, that we haven't uh, haven't covered? No, but thanks again for. Well, there is one point I want. You said about deep thoughts. We're doing our deep thought segment, but yeah, that was something I'll wrap up with. But no, just thanks for having me. I, I love this part um, and the fact that you guys are including me on every second Sunday of the month. And deep thoughts is is really what it's all about. But no, I just wanted to say to everybody. I know we're probably not going to talk until the end of April. Um, but you know, just have everybody have a good fishing season, a good start to the fishing season. You know, be good to your friendly neighbor when you're on the water and. Just try to pay it forward and help each other out, and let's make 2021 a lot better than, you know, the way 2020 went down with COVID and everything. And I think we all have an opportunity to just make this year a little bit more special. Hey, were you ever a, a motivational speaker? Because you should have been. I live in a van down by the river. <laughs> well, thank you, man. <laughs> Big hopes and dreams. Uh, no, I know. It's, I think I missed my calling, Chad. Um, I, I should have been a motivational speaker. But, you know, I don't know. You know, it, it's, the more you get involved in the sport and, you know, and, and then, you know, getting into – and I'm going to get try not to get too long-winded here, but get, getting into, like, you know, guiding and then, like, it's not – you know, you I've caught – like just like you guys, you guys caught plenty of fish in your life and then – just paying it forward and making the sport a better place and for the new generation to come in. And, you know, you start to look beyond that, just where am I going to get my next fish? It's more of like, how do we just make this world a better place? And I think as I put in my YouTube video for the love of fishing, you know, that that's what it's all about. And what you guys do, I know I keep on telling you guys this, but what you do and the, the, the impact that you've had on my clients you know, SES, what a great podcast. I really get in the habit of listening to those guys. They're really, they seem like really good guys, and I'm learning a lot, and you hear all these different stories. So you guys are a big part of just kind of making this, this whole thing even better. <laughs> we have those guys fooled. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you do. No, you know, I'm, I'm just so happy to be part of it with you guys. You guys are the best. And you better, I don't know when this is going to happen, but you guys got to get out here this year. Like I said, we're going to try to make it happen, man. We're going to make it happen. All right, because I, 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 my buddy that lives on the road, he just got a new clacka. He's a hell of a rower, and he's a good Esox fisherman and trout fisherman. So, you know, we've got two boats, so we could, you know, myself and my buddy could could row, and, and we all can hang out for a day or two. Absolutely, man. I'm in. And fuck. I'll, I'll row you around, Steve. I want to see you cast. I want to see you catch some fish <laughs> for a change. That would be, that, that, that would be fun. Absolutely. Show us how All right, it's done. guys. Well, have a great show, right. man. All right. Sounds good, Steve. Hey, we'll talk to you next month, man. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Later. Yep. Man, I love that dude. Yeah. Motivational. I live in a van by now by the river. He's <laughs> <laughs> probably busy fishing. He can't get away. You see? Come on, let's star Matt Foley. Holding your jaw wrong. So we, uh, we do have another guest we're calling here in about eight minutes. We're going to talk to Russ Madden, man. I can't wait to talk to him. That, that dude's fun. He's a real deal, Holyfield, with mm-hmm. the streamer deal, man. Are we still live? Yeah, we're still going, man. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I know. You're just kind of like hanging out. <laughs> what the hell is happening here? So uh, I thought we were just chilling. For eight minutes, but that's cool. You want to you want to chill? No, no, no. Keep talking. That's fine. Yeah. So yesterday, Mark and I, we went. Uh, where'd we go? Oh, we went to Michigan, and we we did a cannonball run across the state of Michigan over to Baldwin, 
Mark picked up a stealth craft, uh, hooligan raft. This is a little loud. It is a little loud. Yeah, now that you're yelling over the. It's like we're a fucking <laughs> hey, rock hey, and roll is this concert. Guy on? <laughs> but yeah, Mark picked up a stealth craft, and that thing's pretty sweet. I uh, I can't wait to get in and row it. It looks like there's, it's wider than yours, Jay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's gonna be different. I, I can't wait to see how it how it works and how it excuse me, how it rows in comparison. How's the uh, frame positioning with like seating is pretty similar as yeah, well. Yeah, the the seating is pretty similar. Um, there's a a big platform in the back that the the back seat sets on, mm-hmm. but you can still strap crap to it, so it's nice. It'll keep it off of the floor. That's cool. It. I think that's going to be a nice feature. Mm-hmm. Got the deer rack on the back. You mean? Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then there's a cargo. Then there's mm-hmm. a. A welded-on motor mount too. Oh, sweet! There you go. So, I have that three-horse motor up in the uh, top of my shed. Be perfect for that. Did it come like uh, like uh, actual title? Yes. Oh, okay. I didn't know if they came titled or if they yeah. were just with the uh, the numbers. Yeah, no, it's titled. Oh, cool. Very Anything cool. over what, like fourteen, for the most part, in in our state would would need the title. My state, Ohio, you'd have to have. Yeah. You know, regardless of what it. Whatever I it I was, I don't think those the Smith flies on titles. I had a, well, I'm saying I had a boat. They came out and measured it because it was so old, you know, just a, I don't know why, new new designations, new lengths, and things like that for the watercraft in Ohio, I guess. So some guy come out and measures like fourteen one or something crazy. And he's like, oh yeah, you gotta have all this shit, this that and the other. I'm like, well, it's pretty much the same shit you would need. For so, any boat with a motor, you know what yeah. I mean? So if I saw two inches off it, will we be good? Yes. <laughs> Where are you measuring from? Yeah. <laughs> Honey, I shrunk the boat. Oh, no. But it's just is what it, for classification for the what you pay, you know what I mean? Money. But what, what it, what, uh, he ain't gonna have his troller motor on there, iPilot, so he can roll it himself? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, but we left Stealthcraft. Then we shot back across the state of Michigan and went to Schultz Outfitters. Man, that is a cool fly shop. I I dig it. It's like two different sections. Like the first section you walk in, it's where all like the flies are and they have fly rods mm-hmm. and like I don't know, just like uh all the tchotchkes, like we bought the hats there. Mm-hmm. Um, then you walk into the middle section. That's where all their fly tying material is. Um, we get to meet Corey. He's like the shop manager, mm-hmm. and uh, that's where he was hanging out. Like has a uh, laptop set up there. He checked us out there and everything. And then they just got a third section. On you walk through the fly tying, the fly tying material part, into a third section. It's all gear stuff like a uh, Senkos and spinning reels, spinning reels, oh, baitcasters, really? <laughs> and bulldogs, all kind of like you know gear fishing stuff. So he's up branching out into more than just fly fishing equipment. That's pretty cool. Could call it the crutch room. Yeah, you can call it whatever you want, man. But <laughs> I, I think it's going to make that store way more profitable. Well, <laughs> it's I the mean, sales room. That's the sales room. Yes, yeah. and if you're going to sell if all you your could shit, sell out. somebody a thirty dollar chunk of plastic. By all means, Whoa. have a great day with with that. People, gear gear guys are collectors and. And probably some fly guys are collectors just as yeah. well with gear because some of that shit lasts forever, you know, gear-wise. Yeah. I think guys are starting to just use both things and it's starting to... Whatever's more effective. Yeah. 
you know, certain times of year you can use a fly rod more effectively, and certain times of year you're not going to catch more fish than when you have a gear rod in your hand. You yeah. mean like when it was windy as shit? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, that, I, that I drove two hours. That might be the biggest, one of the biggest things, you know, the wind. can't cast a fly around the wind that great. It's hard. Well, you can, but it's not as effective, yeah. and it wears you out. Oh, yeah. I hate giving up a fishing day to wind. I'm like, yeah. it's not raining. It's not, you know, frozen. Uh, the fucking wind is sideways, you know. Oh, it's, it's been a windy week here. Yeah, I, A guy sent me a picture last night. He's like, oh, I hammered uh, hammered fish out in... On the big lake, and I'm like, ah, it's pretty windy. He <laughs> sent me a picture. It was completely flat, so hit and miss, I guess, area-wise, but <clears throat> I'm scared. I told a couple guys, I'm not going on no boat. Too cold. Told Jason that so, yesterday. Any uh, other cool upgrades Mark got on that boat? Uh, What? He got drift boat, lean, yeah, yeah. lean braces with cup holders in the lean braces, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Um... He got Sawyer wood, like the Sawyer light oars. They're they're pretty nice. A rod rack, five rod rack. Sweet. Um, and theirs has the metal tubes instead of the plastic PVC. Oh really? Yeah. Cool. Um. Uh, what? What else? It's got a nice anchor system. Like it, he's running small anchor rope though, like hmm. real thin diameter. So we'll have to see what's going on there. Um. At Schultz, I got to put my eyes on one of those tornado anchors. Have you seen those? The tumbling, like it's just sheets of oh, okay, yeah, of quarter-inch steel stacked yep. on top of each other with an eye bolt through them. Mm-hmm. You can make that. Yeah, <laughs> figured that. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna find a piece of a quarter-inch steel and cut out rectangles with a torch, and then I'll take it down to our Snap-on Man, have him Cerakote it, and that's gonna be it. But I do think it's just about time we should get going and give a old Russ Madden a call. What do you guys think? Sounds good. All right, I guess. And we are back with Russ Madden. What's going on, man? How's it going? Good, man. How you guys all? T- how you doing? Oh, we're doing great. Jay's not so much, but uh, the rest of us are doing great. Yeah, I heard he had Jack who's. <laughs> Day. Yeah, man. Uh, off air, you told us you've uh, Jacques Cousteau'd a couple times. I sure have. No one's immune to the Jacques Cousteau. I've had customers Jacques Cousteau do the crab claw, hold on for your life on the side of the tunnel. For a while, I thought we should all get crab stickers and stick them on the side of the boat. See how many guys did the crab claw. Like uh, like Ohio State does with the Buckeye stickers. Yeah, Every- right. Oh, crab claw. Crab claw. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah you know all the guys you'd have your feet in the boat and the hands on the gunnel. <laughs> Great. Uh-huh. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean, man. That's right. So, um, hey Russ, we were just talking off air. I think we should uh go through a season of how, how your fishing goes, but let's start at the end, what you're just putting away now. Well, it's a sad moment. It's kinda you know, putting away the ice gear for this season. Um, I had a great ice fishing season, big one this year, a little bigger than last year, probably about two weeks longer. Um, if I take a week on the back end here in March and a week on the front end in December, it's just about two weeks longer in my whole season. So that was, that was awesome. Always sucks to put it away, but get the steelhead grind going, get the early trout season going. 
And I don't feel so bad now because I laid in bed for two days when the ice melted. I was fucking hurt. <laughs> oh, it sucks when you go there the one day looking like thinking you're able to go ice fishing and you look and there's like 10 feet of shore. Yeah, there's the, you, it's out there, but you can't get to it. Yeah, I watched that. I, I watched that good. happen. And it's just a brutal time frame in between seasons. It's like that December 8th going there going, come on, I can walk on it. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> throwing rocks. Throwing rocks, a bunch of rocks. Yeah. That's how ours looked at the start. People were eager. It was like you said, uh, big ice season with lots and lots of people out. Oh, yeah. there. Oh, yeah. That was another one. Yeah, that was, that was interesting this year. Never dealt with so many folk in my life, but. Good to see people utilizing the outdoors, I guess. Hopefully they picked up after each other, which didn't seem to really work out very well. Lots of trash on the ice this year, unfortunately. Yeah, Yeah, that's the worst. I picked up two Butare, the propane bottles, the last trip I was out that were in the middle of the lake, which people definitely could have not dropped them there. Yeah, it's hard to pick up the COVID stuff. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you gotta did, you gotta in the lake did you notice last year um during the, the soft water season the amount of people being more or was it just uh starting in the ice fishing you know, i think they settled in about like late you know late uh fall you know to where it was like wow there's a lot of boats on this river trying to do the steelhead pit and wow there's a lot of boats for a wednesday and you know december 5th you know, it's like, holy moly, there was a lot of people fishing last, you know. But I think it didn't start earlier. It started a little later. <clears throat> Once people got the got stimulated and bought boats <laughs> and gear and, you know, that kind of became a lot more prominent this year, which was fine. It was good to see, you know, seas of shanties out there. Are you didn't a- have to hide my car like I normally would. <laughs> or me to follow along so that was that was good are you the type of guy to you know set up your shanty a big house out there and you know oh uh, like no, old... I'm, I'm like uh you know i'm a running gunner i like drilling a lot of holes i like fishing super fast i'm i'm a pan fisher at heart although all the other things are fun too whitey you know white fish and you know the walleye and the lakers and all that are fun but i'm a panner and, and I really enjoy the happen. Are you a gas auger? Are you a you manual kind of guy? He's got a drill, I, right? Well, I always start manual. I think it's a safety precaution that I take, like, the first week of early ice. Um, I bring a hand auger. I bring a spud. Um, so I know how many turns I'm actually putting into the auger versus <laughs> drilling through in light warp speed. And all of a sudden realizing that there's two inches of ice that I've been trying to mill around. <laughs> Making the swish cheese. <laughs> yeah, I like to have the hand auger first ice. I really, really do. I think it's a huge benefit so you actually know what you're standing on. Um, aside from just the chisel or spud, whatever, you know, whatever part of the country you're in, I guess. So I use the chisel and a hand auger until that ice gets about four inches. And then I'm running, you know, electric, you know, uh, drill augers. You know, the Nils or the Strike Master made a good one this year. Got all of them pretty much. I can give you a whole, you know, gear guide on all of that, but probably hey. <laughs> bore you guys on that. Well, no, no, we'll just say far, far greater invention than the gas drill. 
Yeah, I you know the electrics are working, and I do have a gas auger because I don't have the brand new super whistle like an ion one right now. So I have probably a dozen drill bit augers, and I do have a gas auger, and I did use it this year because there was actually a lot of ice for the first time in a long time. But nope, everything's going electric. It's hard to get them. You know, it's it's an electric world now. It just burns up a lot of drills doing the eight inch bit on those. Oh yeah, that's that's like big. Going through two feet of ice. What about you uh the strike two here. strike master? Is that the the with the lithium battery? Strike master light flight. I like the both the six and the eight in that. It's awesome. They're awesome auger bits. And the the Nils is a little better because it actually offers a handle that comes with it. So that's a but it's a little heavier. But I haven't sharpened mine in like four years, and it's rolling strong. And I drill some holes. Oh, I I'm a hand drill all season. Well, the because we don't get a lot here at, yeah. ever. But uh, oh, that's you, uh, if you got little, then that's the way to go. I tell actually, people it's a, it's actually a safer. I I believe in my mind. It, it seems like you can actually feel the effort it puts forth to cut through four inches of ice at a certain point. Well, people so you know, ask me if it's safe. safe. Yeah, safe safety. I tell people, oh, it's seven turns, we're good. You know, what I mean, it's ten <laughs> turns, we're great. Yeah, it's, 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 it is a big safety thing. It's knowing the ice and stuff like that. But I use a six inch, and I just burn holes, man. And I'm yeah, that, that oh, keeps you in shape. The electric, dude. you know, the drill loggers work excellent. Both the Strike Master, the Nils, the K drill. I have them all. Oh, uh, dude, I never in the best rated out of those three. It would be the Nils, followed by the Strike Master. Yeah, no, they're nice. My buddy got a K drill, and I don't think I've felt power like that before. I was like, oh, oh my fucking the toes are down that there. They have with the the blade configurations a little bit wonky on them. Oh, that's scary. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I never used one before, and I used that, and it has a lot of torque. Like he's running, you know, the big brushless drill. Yeah. And it's yeah, a both scary. the Nils and the, the Strike Master are probably a little bit better product, in my opinion. So, were those fish making it to the frying pan? panties in the pan right you know yeah i i'm pretty conservative because i go like every day <laughs> so i don't need to like world yeah i mean you... i get my snowplow dude some fillets you know <laughs> it keeps for the summer but yeah i mean if i were out there just harbinging of sorrow i'd probably feel like a total idiot so you know now i keep about like a third or a half of a limit you know just you know, what I'm going to have or what I feel like freezing or if I need a favor to, you know, make nice with someone, give them some. But, you know, I, I let all the fish pretty much over eight and a half inch go uh, when it comes to like gills, crappies, but, you know, gills especially. I don't think there's a need to, you know, keep anything over nine or ten inches. I think that's crazy. It's too valuable of a resource, and especially since it takes those fish 10 years to grow. You know, think like a gill grows one inch a season. So, you know, that's like two rounds of a salmon or four spawning cycles of, you know, a steelhead or something. So, like a 10 inch, 12 inch gill, that's like serious trophy fish there. Oh, Should yeah. be handled with respect and let go. So, I'm, I'm not a fan of keeping like big fish at all, panfish. Just as easy to clean a seven and a half incher as it is an eight and a half or nine incher. Just let them over, let them all the nine inchers go. The breeders. Yeah, that's, we got to protect. 
private area, I guess you we could be conservative on, but our local lakes have instilled like a. I, I guess our growing is probably a little different season wise than you guys is yeah, potentially. Yeah, you know, any anything you start getting further past that forty fifth parallel, further down, further down, it just you know you get a little bit more season in each little latitude line, you know, longitude line. So you're you're uh, you'll get more and more the further south you go. Well, ours are so. 10, 10 inches is our lower limit. We can't go less. But I'll tell you right now, upon flaying and eating plenty, that 10-incher is a far greater fish to eat than a 12-incher. And it's oh, not yeah. the one that's It's that way in most fish. I, you know, you know, if you're going to keep on keep the lower end of the limit, you know, or wherever you're at. You know, and I don't think, you know, I'm not one of those CNR, you know, sticklers. I think that, you know, I ice fish. I keep some fish. I, the knives are working. You know, and if you can't put a gaff into a fish, you don't belong out there. Amen. <laughs> Real. Hey, what? You know. What other sport could you y'all get the fucking gaff? Okay, I mean <laughs> that 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 got me right there. I'm I'm hooked. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you got to have it in your heart. You know, fishing's a sport that's gonna. It's not a hundred percent friendly to the fish, regardless of what we believe the catch and release thing is, and it does work if fish are handled properly, et cetera, et cetera. But the bottom line is it's angler responsibility. And, and the, the point I was trying to get at was if you don't have that in your heart, in your soul, to take the fish that you hurt or wounded or may have killed, then you probably don't really need to be fishing. But that's my opinion. No, right? man. Amen. amen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But but it sucks to watch it leave, like you said, and that's that's a rough part of the season. You charge that Vexilar the last time. and Yeah. That, uh, yeah, the ice leaving is a bummer, but there's always the next little turn in the wheel. Yep. Hey, before we leave the ice, real quick, what's what's your favorite way to cook a bluegill that's not fried? Oi. Um, <laughs> fried? Is there Pan- other ways? Fried? Count? Does what? Pan seared count? Uh, I'll go with it. <laughs> there you go. You know what? Rather, you know, honestly, a lot of them, if you do less, you know, you don't have to immerse your fish. You can you can do lesser oil. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I'll tell you yeah. what. Jace gave me a, a bag of ice crappie uh, last week, and I made it in a ceviche. It was so, Did you? so freaking good, man. I bet, because they're a sweet. That's a sweet fish, too. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah. Nice. So I eat my like, fish cooked. Like a lead crappie is about perfect anything bigger than that it's a little bit thick for me mushy yeah <laughs> i don't know man that the lime juice firmed it right up it was perfect oh That's yeah awesome i'm gonna try that <laughs> so uh yeah. you you put your ice gear away what's the next cog in the wheel man well turning forward moving forward in the spring definitely my one of my triggers is i'm waiting for ice out on these lower lakes with you know the, the impoundment or anything with a river flowing into lake michigan i like those lakes to start opening up to trigger that little bit of a run of uh, the spring steelhead looking for the temps to get around 38 before i really get super motivated regardless of conditions um i I believe it yeah i i I like 38 degrees in an open port lake Uh, and then i'll do the steelhead bit um, our trout and the upper water, if we get any melt off, which we're all out of snow up here, there's no snow left. There's very little ice on these lakes. So our bump in the water was pretty minimal this year. Um, which is a little bit disheartening because it, hopefully it's not showing that we're going to be on a losing water trend this whole 
summer. Yeah, I've been thinking uh, the same thing. Yeah. I'll be looking at fishing a lot more dry flies than the, than the streamer. And, you know, it's kind of already thinking that in my mind. So thinking that I'm going to have to be running those early hatches a little bit more than I uh, normally would for season. So these steelhead that are... Here we can fish. So last year we were actually shut down. We couldn't even fish. So it's, it's it'll be nice to have an April of being able to, you know, actually guide maybe. <laughs> could you fish last year and just not guide well, or there was no could, fishing at all? It was some weird, you know, COVID thing where you couldn't have, you had to be in the same family, couldn't guide, couldn't run a motorboat. So, it, you know, that, that was some a little bit of hurdles that people had to deal with up here. Yeah. So, you know, everybody got through it and looking forward to this year. Did you, so, did your season last year rebound after all the COVID scares at the beginning, like in the April, March, well, April? For me, the spring is like such a big deal. So to come in like, you know, whenever you were like guiding in middle of May, it was like, man, I missed all steelhead season, missed all early trout. You know, well, throw a dry fly, fish the condition days with the streamer, and then do your dry fly hatches. So it was, you know, a big hatch year last year, and it's going to be a big one this year again, just because the water's low. Unless we, unless some serious turnaround occurs, guys are going to have to be mindful of the streamers they're running this year, and you know how that's going to affect that fishery and the, the pressure that's been put, that's going to be put on it this spring. That's another one, you know, boat sales are an all time high fishing companies are not able to even get their dealer orders in and, and kept keeping up with that. So it's been like a tremendous amount of growth. Um, the, even in the fly time last winter. Um, but yeah, that's, that's going to be something to consider this spring too, is the amount of traffic and how to navigate around that. When, uh, when you're doing the spring steelhead, are you streamer fishing for the steelhead when the uh, the water allows? You guys running indies? What what is your preferred? Uh... Personally, I like to just go down the river and cast the streamer. Heck yeah, man! It, and you know, and it, sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't, and it's hard for them guys to just pass by those eight sitting on the rock. But I make them. <laughs> I ain't putting out for that. No, yeah, stop. You, you get one cast out there. If they don't run 20 feet off that thing to grab a you know fly, then it's over. And that's going to be tough because I think those fish are going to have some serious bullseyes on them this year. And especially with a lot of beginning anglers, you know, just, you know, your eyes get as big as saucers. You see those fish out there. And you know, someday I hope and that they close the season April one, but that's another issue. So you were talking about, you know, even just changing up and people being mindful of the streamers they're throwing. Um, are you just saying with the size and profile of the streamers? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, that really we were kind of talking about that earlier is the big thing with the streamer has gotten so big and there's so many more boats than there ever used to be. So if you got, five guys running the same giant pattern in front of you that are now a lot of them are commercially available by the way so now it could be 20 guys running the same fly in front of you 20 guys running something seven inches long eight inches long 
there's like two or four big trout per mile that a guy would really, really want to get. After about the third day of that, they're not going to eat that thing as well. So, you know, being mindful means, you know, get on that vice, tie some flies, tie something different, avoid those big flies after that first three weeks that the guys all throw them. Uh, you know, you're going to have a lot more success running a moderate size fly on a year round basis than you would throwing a big giant thing, dying with your boots on trying to get that one big one. When because that one big one already bit that one fly four guys before you. When you're talking so, a moderately sized fly, you're talking like three and a half, four inches. You're talking four inches is like a Michigan go getter. It's like a go getter in most places, to be honest. And a four inch bait fish isn't necessarily that small. It's like uh, you're perch fishing, you're going ice fishing for perch. How many five inchers are there versus 10 inchers? Well, a lot more five inch perch than 10 inch perch. So, you know, they're used to seeing that. So when you're going on, the smaller baits are going to get your better bites nowadays. Catching a lot more fish on small stuff than I ever have in the past. And I think it's just because guys are running the big giant stuff. And the big giant stuff is bringing all those fish out and you're just getting the Heisman. Just getting the Heisman every single time. The fish aren't grabbing it. They're following it. They're munching on it. And as soon as they feel that stick and you, you know, a guy in front screws up just a little and when you see the whites of your, the angler's eyes, you know, that fish is going to be way less apt to come out there and grab, you know, yeah. double yellow deceiver again. So, you know, throwing a little tan, you know, crayfish pattern or a smolt pattern or something that a fish can easily consume is going to get you that fish versus get him interested in the product. If you're throwing... If you're throwing a, a smaller crayfish pattern, are you bouncing it off the bottom? Well, that's a good that's a, a good point. And what I like to do with when it comes to like trout or steelhead or any of this, you know, any kind of the streamer fishing, um, the big deal is that water temperature. And I am a huge fan of when that stuff is 38 to like mid 40s. I'm putting the lead out. I'm running a cone. I'm running something with some mustard. I need that fly to go a little slower. Need to plan to get it down a little deeper. Um, so I'm I'm a lead fan in in the spring and then in the fall after that second temperature drop in the fall, prior to the getting to the 38 and colder. Um, so yeah, no, I think it's more of a temperature related thing. And as the the warmer water persists, I'll go more swim flies, less less weight. So I do like the chain, you know, lead, chain, wool with a few wrap of, you know, 030 or 025 down the side of the hook. You know, there's a lot of different weighting systems you can use. And I tell a lot of beginner streamer, a lot of guys that are just going and streamer, look, my, I bought a drift boat. I got my super whistle casting rod. I'm ready to go get them. And I tell every one of those guys, you go with one fly, you are going to set yourself up for failure. You run a run just hair. It's not going to work every time you want to run just lead it's not going to work every time you got to have something that's progressing through that season uh, with multiple action flies and multiple fly lines we got a lot of fly lines that are developing at an alarming rate to do really cool things for our flies 
So not just one fly line works anymore. You you take Arkansas as one of the best examples of how you need to run like four different lines throughout the course of a day. So you come across the dam, you know, up on the white, you got to have something that takes you down into the cellar. Go further down and all the water starts dropping out and you're over grass flats. You want something to burn that fly at a consistent depth. You know, so there's all these tools can help you. The biggest thing to do is not get wrapped up into one type of action. I like to cut deer hair, so I'm just going to run deer hair. Well, you know, what are you going to do when that water is 39 degrees? You're going to expect that fish to come off of Mother Earth to the surface to eat the thing? So, you know, I think you really, you know, a lot of these guys got to, you got to be diverse with your thing. And that also goes for the, throughout the course of the season, there's various things that hatch. You know, know your river. You know, if you got salmon coming in there and spawning and all of a sudden it's the smolt are hatching, you don't want to be having some kind of 10 inch long white bait fish out there. Every fish in the river is going to eat those smolts. Same thing with lampreys. So all these products in your river are going to come out at certain times of year. They're going to be more prominent. And it pays to know that just like a dry fly guy would. You know, certainly not going to run a Hendrickson during a hex hatch. It's, a, it's the same exact thing. So the biomass of that river is going to tra- is going to change too for your, for the streamer guys. And the pace to to pay attention to the water temperature and what's actually going on in that river at this, at a certain time. When the smolts are hatching, will you down like downscale down to like inch and a half surf candies and stuff like that? I run that. You know, I run that flash monkey. I'm tying them right now, as a matter of fact. As we're speaking. Um, two inch, you know, on the Senyo micro shanks with like the, you know, number eight hook back there, a little A-Rex back there, and you're tying them in the top end size is like two and a half. You know, I'm running two and a half inch flies up there. Okay. And, you know, you can really do a lot of damage on with something like that, not only for the trout that time of year but you're a drop back steelhead things like that especially with this low water we're going to be faced with this year if we don't get some serious rain then it's going to be even more important to run you know a little more subtle stuff and that's you know looking at the conditions right now if i had to fish tomorrow i'd be scared out of my wits (laughs) yeah bluebird and it's going to be 19 tonight and it's going to be bluebird tomorrow at like 33 and uh man it's not easy it's not going to be easy out there until it starts getting a little bit of time fortunately next week it seems like there's some promise of rain but yeah definitely in the one you know one to three inch long stuff when it comes to the smolts you know and the sculpins also spawn in the spring. Lampreys happen in the spring. Suckers come in in the spring. I mean, you name it. Daces are hatching if you're not in a river with the salmon. Yeah, it really just pays to know what's in your river. Find out the temperature ranges that those things are the most prominent and target that situation. It doesn't matter where you are in the country. Maybe out in Montana, you're going to have totally different stuff out there during different temperature ranges of the river or Pennsylvania or Kentucky or wherever. Just know the place you're fishing and pay attention to the water temperatures. And and that's going to be a huge asset. And you're talking, you, oh, what was that? It's just going to be a huge asset. That's all. This is to really pay attention to you take streamer fishing like a dry fly guy would. 
you were talking about going in with your arsenal being large, your arsenal flies being large. Um, your articulated flies, you also mentioned there's many different ways to weight them. Are you running weights like uh, like Mark Zadotti does in the slammers in your smaller articulated flies? Or are you, you playing no, with actually, stuff like I that? No, actually, I have a different method that I, that I use, and it's actually, you know, for the tiny flies. Now, okay. I'm not doing cones to part action because I'm not. Um, but the the hook weight and some of the shanks that I tie my flies on are up eye, like the steelhead swing dudes. Okay. And what I like to do is bend a little eyelet. I've done some fly tying, a lot of different videos on the flash fly that I tie. It's basically derivative off of Mark's fly. We didn't have the technology back then to to tie these flies now. They, these were, this is new stuff. You know, Mark, when Mark came up with those, you know, the slammer and stuff like that, we didn't have half of what we have now. We didn't even have shanks back then. So, you know, what I like to do is use a shank and kind of bend the shank a touch. And I know that there are other fly tires that do that as well to add different actions. Matt Grasky's one um, with his largest fly, the, the slip and slide. Um, but I like to roll the eyelet on an upturned shank slightly away on my vice. And what that'll do with that loop knot, it's going to tug that fly one way a little harder. Okay. Um, so you can actually get a little bit of a twitch and a walk the dog just by bending the shank slightly. And, you know, you add your weight from the hook back. You can also do, uh, you know, I put the swing string on there, which is a four set of chains. And uh, you can also add an, add five. You can make five, make three coming off of one side. So you'll have it wobble. Okay. You can do that too. So there, there's other ways to get that. But, yes, on a single hook fly, I'm putting that weight around that shank because it's going to do, you know, especially with the floating head, you got two forces working against each other. It's going to make the thing move side to side. But on my fly, it's the, one of them is the hook is extended back. So the weight is way far back. So that's going to push the fly in a different way. But yes, you can you can do the the shank wraps if you want the Sadati keels. You know, I typically like the fly. If I'm burning the fly, it doesn't really matter. And I like to do that when that water temperature starts getting up because it's the most ferocious thing you'll ever see brown trout do, or steelhead for that matter. Late fall, uh, that two handed burn is just lightning. Can you get the steel? Can you get, and it covers the water? Can you get the steelhead in the spring to do that too? Yeah, but it's got to be dropbacks. Okay, like the. May fish will do it, and then uh, October fish will do it. November fish will do it. Um, and you can even get around the figure eight. Uh, you know, November steelhead. You just got to be willing to put in the work to to cover that water. I mean, you really go into the lacerating that time of year because the water is low and you got a ton of pressure and you got to work a large chunk of water to get two or three good takes by you know chrome steelhead, especially these ones up here. They're big. I mean, they'll, they'll break your arm. They really, they'll break your arm. So break your arm. With, with all the options that you have up there, the steelhead, the salmon, the brown trout, uh, what, what, what's your favorite one to, to target? Oh, I'm a brown trout guy. Brown trout all the way. <laughs> but I really like anything, anything that you can earn your take on. 
you know, and really when you're coming down to the brown trout, it's it's more of a fish that I like to fish for and guide because it's got some diversity to it. I can do the dry fly. I can do the, you know, it's a great guide fish because there's a lot of ways you can employ to catch them. Um, but the most exciting by far is, is Adramus fish on the, on the strip. There's nothing like seeing those steelhead come in the fall or even in the spring when you get that crimson, big, you know, crimson side fish freaking out on a streamer. It's, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's actually way up there too, but the, the fall fish, the fall steelhead, the Kings even get getting any fish on the two handed burn, let alone a good size steelhead or a King is, is pretty dramatic stuff. Pretty dramatic stuff like change your life kind of stuff. Yeah, man. How do uh, the people that have never streamer fished react when you, uh, when you get them hooked up with a, a fit, a big fish that eats a streamer? Well, it's about, you know, I'll, I'll go into like a saltwater experience from years ago that I had and <laughs> you kind of hook one and you see your, your reel, you're like looking at your reel and the fish is like, a hundred yards away and it's a tarpon and it just jumps and you haven't done a thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, often, often they lose fly lines or, you know, it, it's dramatic. It's dramatic. They're not used to seeing the first of all, when you see that Sandman coming, it, it, it'll scare you. It'll freak you out. So if you can get past that, you got a good chance at least hooking the thing. Once you hook the thing, you know, usually they freeze up like a block of ice and usually takes them a few rounds to, to hook a few more, but it, it's, it's not easy to do. Hooking a king on the streamer is probably, in terms of difficulty level, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty hard. It's pretty hot. Top of the mountain stuff. It's top of the mountain stuff. Absolutely top of the mountain. You take that August king and, it, I mean, if you get one or two in a year being trying – trying every day as hard as you can and i'm not talking about sitting there swinging through a million of them i'm talking about moving on moving fish aggressively in the lower end of a river where they're nowhere near gravel it's it's a it's a hard it's not easy it is not easy it's right up there with the muskies and the effort that that takes um but it's it's life-changing it's life-changing now going, you know, from we're gonna transition from spring to maybe summer, even in the fall. What do you do during your summer uh, months? And then is that like the really the start of your fall? Is the salmon? Salmon in August is the start of my fall. It's probably my, you know, if if there's tang around in the in the fall, there's probably not much else I'm doing because that is it's an addictive situation. It's hard to get guys to lacerate. It's hard to get guys that'll pitch that far and that hard and, you know, get back up and dragging the butt of their, a lot of dragging the butt of the rifle, you know, it's, it's frustrating. It's fun. You do a lot of follows and a lot of take, you know, really helped that whole King thing out is uh, the pancarini tails. Okay. Had a, had a lot more fish on those prosthetic tails than I have, you know, running other stuff. The prosthetic tails has made the difference. So with the kings, are you throwing bigger flies, like like six I'm, inch flies, or with the yeah about like six inch stuff, six inch stuff, so that, six inch flash monkeys, and I burn every single fly. I don't that, stop it. The tail they they thought that was more like a jointed fire tagger than repella. 
The yeah, it's, I mean, tail. it's just the. I don't know if you've seen them. They got dragon tails. They got oh, the, yeah. you know, Pinkerini oh, yeah. does some pretty cool stuff. Mm-hmm. But I use the dragon tails are pretty, pretty cool for that, especially on your like last ten miles of these rivers up here. And you burn, or, you burn the whole time for the kings. I burn the whole time. Burn the whole time, like two handed, you know, ten weight, badass glass, going strong. <laughs> So, so when when you have dudes that are doing that, are you having to take a break like every two miles and just let them like rehydrate and like take a gentleman's break? Just take a gentleman's break and like sit down, relax, and then get back after it so they're balls to the wall again? Or are you just running no. these dudes ragged? Go. <laughs> go. Just go, go, go. You only got five hours in the morning, lacerate. All right, push it. <laughs> push Last it all you got. <clears throat> you say you're pushing the bottom 10 miles or so of the rivers. Yeah. Yeah. Just looking for one hot one sitting by some log that hasn't been snagged at, or, you know, bobbers chucked in it, or, you know, you just got to find one rested one out of that whole chaotic swarm of boats and spawn sacks and treble hooks and total disease. (laughs) (laughs) You just got to cast through them, put your blinders on, you know, just focus and go. And it, it's it's a, a very, very intimidating situation, but it, it is it's it's straight rock and roll. No doubt about it. When you hook one, it's it, it, it's life changing. It's life changing. That's it. It's the only way I can put it. You see those kings coming at you. It makes you a little bit less nervous on the muskies i'll just <laughs> do do you fish waters that there are muskie in um i don't personally i fish where there's a lot of pikes and random species you know the, if if i do encounter a muskie on the waters that i fish regularly it's completely incidental yeah it's completely i mean there's some great pike in there you know there's rivers that i fish in like may where i'll get a st- you know i've actually in one day in one run caught a pike a bass a brown trout and a steelhead so you know you can have those days and, and you know there are those encounters especially when that water starts getting into that 50s you start finding crazy stuff in some of these tailwaters that sounds like the uh, the michigan super slam it's awesome. It, it was awesome. We still we still try to duplicate that to this day. I've been fishing with this guy for twenty years. We, <laughs> haven't, we haven't seemed to match that in one run yet. That would Every be hard. To that run, we think it's going to happen, but it doesn't. <laughs> but we do throughout the course of the day. It can happen. So really, that that May is a fun time to fish on certain rivers up here too. Just any time that water gets into that fifties, those fish are getting to be supercharged, and it's kind of nice. But in the summer, favorite fish are brown trout. I love the dry fly thing too. I love the night stuff. I mean, although it's got a little bit different taste in my mouth for it nowadays versus what it used to be um, with less traffic and less. You know, I guess I would call it uh, fish optimizing um, tricks, I guess. You know, there's certain lights that can be used, and and it just kind of turned me off to the whole thing. So I don't do as much night fishing. My customers that still night fish, you know, I've been doing it for a long, long time. And 
it's still something that turns my crank, although it's not as much anymore. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. You don't like the lights involved in it? Is that well, what? I don't like the way the sport has developed into, like, I'm going to go shine the deer first to find the field where he's at. Okay, I get you. Uh, in the exact, you know, 100 yards of maybe 20 yards, maybe 10 yards here. So, you know, you can find the fish in a 10-yard stretch before it used to just be cool to figure out where that fish was. But... You know, that's that's why I'm I'll just say fish optimizing techniques had ruined night fishing for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got you, man. So because now you see a big fish and it's like, oh, did you did you already go shine that fish before? And you got that one or did you? you know, so now it really like all the validity is dead. It, it's jaded it for you. So wait, yeah. and just this is just a stupid question. But like after somebody shines one of those fish. They're, they still, they're still fishing after catch the fish in the same exact spot yeah okay yeah yeah so that's why so the validity of the whole thing is kind of and there are lots of guys that put in the serious work and really do it and you know i always thought it was an embarrassment to turn on a light like wait you don't know where that stump is you don't know where that is you don't know where the launch is well now it's more like oh i know where the launch is i know where every fish is because i shined them all the day before or night before, you know, whatever, or that day. So a lot of guys scout the river by shining the whole entire thing and go back and finding the four big ones and concentrating their efforts on those four spots. And I, I can't get into that. So I just think all the validity is gone from night fishing. Now, now let's take in the hatching and all that stuff. The hatches are different. Fish are rising. you got to employ skill to catch the fish rising. And, you know, the fish gives himself away by rising. That's different. Shining a fish that's in the middle of August on some sand, inside sand bank that you would have never thought a fish was to begin with. And then going back and zapping on this, you know, you, you can get a lot of big deer doing that too. Yeah. So uh, how, how much time do you have to spend on a river in a day, like in daytime, to feel comfortable floating it at nighttime? You know, it's it's hard for me because I'm jaded and I've been on the same ditch for like so long that, you know, it's, you know, that manistee, I'm on that sucker like hundred something days a year for, I don't know, since, let me think, 98? Holy shit. So, you know, I got some hours out there. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I started working for Gallup in like 99 or something. So, you know, there's a lot of hours that I have on there. I'd say that realistically, you got to put in some time. You don't want to be that guy at night that's bonking, ping-ponging off of people. Or, you know, you don't want to end up like, look, my bought a drift boat. Where's the launch? <laughs> <laughs> you got to, you know, there's some kind of, of, of capacity that you have to, yeah, you have to put in a few hours. At least pick a stretch and run that sucker like, you know, for all the new drift boat owners that just got stimulated this year, I'm going to tell you, pick a stretch and learn the stretch and learn it well, and you can do well in there. And then next year, pick another stretch or add an additional stretch, something where you're familiar with the exact area you're in. And that comes from absolutely going out there during the day. Uh, you need to be out there during the day and 
if you're not out there during the day, you can't visualize it at night. So, yes, I mean, I'd say at minimum, I don't know, you probably get away with it about five or six days of going there and then not kill anybody when you're out there at night. But realistically, spend if you're a 20-day angler a year, spend 20 days in one stretch and learn it before you really go out there at night. You're going to be a way better angler if you do that. Pick a section, maybe add a little bit onto the next one. You know, there's a lot of different floats people can do. You just add the three-mile chunk, take a three-mile chunk. And, and especially at night, I would recommend doing short floats. Because a three-hour float at night with a couple guys that are in the trees, in the bushes, or ping-ponging can turn into like a death march. It really can. So <laughs> pick a shorter stretch over a longer one. You just that's two cents worth. <laughs> you told me that uh, the other day when I called you, I asked you like, I was like, how how long do you normally plan for a guide trip to be? And you said, take a float that your buddies can do in five hours and make it an eight hour day. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because because like you said, something's gonna go wrong. You're gonna have a guy who hooked on the anchor rope. You might break a rod. You might have a guy jack who's stout. You might have a <laughs> terrible flood locust. Guy might have to take a shit four times. I mean, you know, you get it. If you're efficient with your buddies fishing it in five hours, assume that you need the full eight to, to get it done. And that's with some kind of, you know, of course now it's COVID. So maybe we got out of doing the whole lunch thing. I don't know. We'll see. Usually I just give them a zag nut and call it good. <laughs> there you go, man. <laughs> Yeah, today what we had Speedway, Speedway breakfast sandwiches and high lifes. That's good. That's perfect. There you are. I ate two bananas on the boat. Yeah, Jay had two bananas and threw his phone in the water. Oh, that's why. That's, <laughs> might as well have a white lighter. <laughs> that's a good one. I like that. I like that. I can appreciate that. I, you know, I love bananas so much, and I always forget at the beginning of the year. I just, I just forget. I don't think about it for some fucking reason. It's because you're not a fisherman. You're a monkey. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> so, yeah. salmon-wise, are kings what you guys got, or do you guys have cohos as well? A coho, too. And, and the last time I was on the interview with you guys, I talked about it, and it was like around the coho time. And actually, or king, you know, I was doing both then. Um, but, yeah, we have cohos, too, in select rivers, and they provide an awesome they're an awesome fish and it's just a nice bonus in October to have the coho there because they're real receptive to flies. If you can find them in amongst the disease. Um, and you know, that's another brown trout time too. So it's like falls really fun too for those migratory fish, but yes, Kings, coho, steels, brown trout, got them all in these rivers at any given moment. And there's also some decent bass floating around still then. And a few pike here and there, although they do start getting pretty weary. Ironically, the bass really hate the king for some reason. Seems like every year you're catching bass, you're catching bass, you're catching bass, and all of a sudden you see a few kings. And then you go back the next day, you see a few more king, you catch a two less smallmouth. And then pretty soon by about the fifth day, there's bass, I swear they're scared out of their wits or something. They're just gone. And then back later in the year, you find them again as they start rotting on the vine. But huh. yeah, they did definitely go away during the king. But, so, but yeah, you have, them all, you have them all there. And the coals are awesome. They're real receptive to flies. Super nice bonus in 
you know, October to have them. Some years you have more than others in different rivers. You know, everything varies with the plants and what happened four years ago and where the bait went and where the wandering cohos end up. But up here in this neck of the woods, we have, you know, big manna gets planted. The, I think even downstate does too. But in my area, we have big manna, Bear Creek, Platte River, of course, which is like the mecca of all coho. Um, but it's a little more fun to get them on the big mana than it is the plat, unless you're out in the surf. And the surf fishing is amazing out in Platte Bay. But you can also have no fish for 10 days straight there. So pay attention to your winds and stuff. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> hell yeah, that lake temperature drives that wheel for any of these migratory fish. So the more you pay attention to that, you know, the more you, you'll actually be beneficial on your migratory fish so your salmon you're really looking for like 50 something degrees to come near shore um so anytime you have that you're probably going to have some form of salmon in the fall and that you know everybody thinks it's a rain that brings these fish in well in a way yes because the freshet brings a fish a lot of fish in but usually it's that east wind because it's temperature driven so you have an east wind, you're blowing warm water, which in our area, we're facing less. So east wind's going to push that warm water offshore and replace it with the cold water from the middle of the lake. So the east wind is what does it. Usually east winds are associated with rain, which, you know, hence the, the myth of that. But usually it's, it's the east wind driving that wheel. It takes that cold water near shore. Anytime you have that in the fall, you're going to have fish. Anytime you're going to have warm water near, in the spring near shore, you're going to have fish too. So if you, if you get to grassroots before interwebs, before, you know, when you're sitting there on your NOAA weather radio in 1998, <laughs> you say, okay, well, it's finally an east wind. I might have a chance. You know, or it's a south wind right now, or it's a west wind right now. Then you're like, okay, now if I plan my, I'm going to hit the north end of this spot. So the wind's blowing. So you really, you, that wind direction plays a lot. But now you got the interweb and all that went away and nobody, you know, pays attention to that real stuff anymore. So the, you just Google it up. Where are they biting? Where's the temperature at? How deep you running? Are they in the <laughs> harbor yet? <laughs> you know, there's no. There's none of that precursor anymore. Um, so the brown trout, you, you find that the, are the brown trout, they're all resident or did they some migrate out or? Well, about three, I'm going to say multiple hundred miles of the river that I fished the most on the Manistee has a multiple dams impeding the movements of all migratory species. So really all the brown trout that I have that either been planted at some point in the early whenevers to now um but we have a pretty good wild population of fish up there there's no migratory fish in multiple hundred miles of the river i fish the last 20 something miles of the river is is on the manistee is where i have uh migratory species so if that helps you yeah but yeah, yeah there's no and yes the last 20 miles you have anything that comes from lake michigan and the upper hundreds of miles, you don't. So, yeah, so we're all the, wherever the steelhead are and everything else, the fish are migrating as well. And then you have an upper stretch that yep. is all upper, beautiful water. Lower. Oh, uh, very cool. By, there's two dams on the Manistee, Hoden Pile and Tippy. 
And, you know, Holden Pile Dam has giant fish too. There's also a lake there. So they do move in and out of that lake environment. Most of the large trout in our state have some affiliation with a lake environment, a lentic environment. Um, and that's going to harbor your bigger fish. So your trophy in your mindset, you're thinking, wow, if I get a 20 inch fish on that upper river, that's pretty bad to the bone. If I get a 20 inch or below a dam, you know, and that fish has spent some time in a lentic environment. So it's maybe not as cool. And then you go, oh, Lake Michigan. So, you know, that, you know, 20 incher is definitely has potential to go to Lake Michigan. So any river that has access to a lake, the fish can utilize and can spend time in both. Do Did that answer your question? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I just wonder what your situation was. Do you feel that a 20-inch fish that's all river-born or all river life is bad to the bone and a lake or fish that runs to a lake is uh, is not as bad to the bone? I think it's just a matter of the work and the area and the amount of time put. I think a 20-inch trout anywhere, anywhere in the country is a great fish. Yeah, but God, any, right. that. You know, I've had tough trips in argentina where you can only catch a handful of fish over 20 inches and a whole trip down there so 20 inch fish is a 20 inch fish and i'm not talking about like a 17 inch that you can hold your hands far out you know <laughs> when the rubber hits the road 20 incher that a, you remember a 20 incher most anglers out there can remember a 20 incher you know unless you're guys that like myself who fish all the time you know, the, the average angler is going to remember a 20-inch wild brown trout, period, from anywhere. So dude, dudes like you that fish all the time, what's the number that, that's memorable for you? I'd say anything over 24. Okay. You know, especially in, in it, it's according to the stretch. You know, if you have a stretch of river that's a drain ditch that you have to put your raft into fish and you get a 20-incher, man, that's pretty cool. You know, you get a stretch that's a little bit bigger and the environment's larger and you get a 20 inch. Anything over 20 is great. For guys that fish a lot, I might say just because you're out there 100 days, just give yourself a two foot mark. You know, but the reality of it is those fish, when it really comes down to it, on an upper section of a river, a 24 incher is giant. It's giant. So a lake run's got to be damn near 30 then? So a lake run, uh, brown trout's got to be damn near 30 to be a big fish then, right? No, no, (laughs) still two foot. (laughs) Still two foot, okay, cool. You know, and that varies on plantings. It's all about the planting. So you could have, you know, those big giant fish in some harbor in Wisconsin isn't going to be the same as some guy putting in serious effort to cast a dry, you know, catch a 24-incher on a dry fly in an upper Michigan river. You know, there, there's a lot of differences when it comes to that, and everybody's trophies, you know, were something. Especially anything over 20 inches when it comes to brown trout in the native environment is amazing. For guys that fish a lot, you can raise the bar to 22. You can raise the bar to 24. You could say if you're going to catch a 26er, then it doesn't count. I think that's a little ridiculous because, <laughs> you know, the reality of it is when you think your fish is 26 and you lay it on there and it's 24 or 25, it's a great fish. I yeah. don't care where. 
Yeah. And it, well, them ones in that. You know, at a certain point, it's not about that. It's just about, you know, everybody's personal experience doing it and the amount of work that goes in. I mean, I, I've been running fiberglass rods for two years now straight. So I don't even run graphite anymore. So you only big ones you can lose on those fiber poles. It's just staggering, but you know, it just adds a little bit of an element. So if you're looking for an extra challenge, those fiberglass rods are it. Plus they save your hand. Is it, is it just, is you just fishing fiberglass or you have, uh, Oh no, my customers do too. Okay. Okay. They suffer too. Okay, cool. <laughs> Not them. Oh no, no one's exempt from suffering on my vessel. <laughs> Perfect. So, I, I like this. I want to go fish with Russ. I, I know, I know. Just don't bring the bananas. Oh, oh you wanna you wanna make yourself efficient and a different kind of angler and think about things a little differently. Yeah, that's you know it's you don't have to make a million casts. You gotta make the right one. You know? mm-hmm. That's you gotta make the right one. I fished almost all last season with a six-weight uh, butter stick, catching everything we have in western Pennsylvania. And it taught me a lot about fighting fish. You know, <laughs> catching an eight-pound hybrid on a six-weight butter stick is uh, yeah. it's not, not the same. No, it's not. It's, 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 a, it's a lot different. It's a lot different. And then you start adding elements like, you know, when I'm fishing in Arkansas, for instance, and, you know, I've fished a lot with Alex over the years. I fished with Andres Anderson. I fished with a lot of great guides down there uh, and some great friends. And, you know, I was shocked that when I had my nine-weight fiber pole out there and I was, like, barely able to connect with 22, 23-inch fish. And the fight was like a marlin because you're casting all of your line out. You know, you are making 80 foot casts and you're like, oh, yeah, I, I hit that one hard enough. No, you didn't. If it's four strips with a fi- with a graphite rod, it's eight strip sets with a fiber pole. <laughs> I was using it by the end of the trip. You're using what? That I actually sent you guys. That was on a fiberglass rod. That was a uh, 10 weight fiberglass, 10 weight badass glass echo with a two with a 350. And that you would have thought that fish was a, the son of Kong. <laughs> I mean, it was it was a twenty five incher, but it was it felt like the son of Kong, and and all that water and all those CFS, and I landed the, I landed some muskies on that same exact ten weight and three fifty grain line on Lake Saint Clair with Eric, and it was like not even in the same caliber. No. <laughs> Because the cast was so much further and the current was so much harder. How about that? You know, that night, oh, that salmon was also on a nine weight badass glass. Really? Yeah, on a streamer on the Pankarini tail. Okay. So, yeah, yeah I mean, it's man of war. It, and it's, that's adding an additional challenge, but it's, it also saves my hand. I've been fishing for, you know, having a hard time because I've been fishing so many years and rowing and fly tying and X and X and X and ice fishing and whatever nonsense I did to my thumb. It's actually came back in a fierce way the past few years. I got no cartilage left in there. So the fiberglass rods, actually, I don't need to use my thumb to cast. Okay. So I can just hold the rod like a hammer <laughs> and time it. So there's a reason you're doing it. Yeah. There's a reason I'm doing it. I have to. If I want to stay on that water fishing, I mean, I can row without a thumb, but can't cast without one very easily. 
If you think it's easy to cast without a thumb, try it. <laughs> <laughs> You're here to say it's not. That's all your flick. Nope. It's not. So, you know, those those glass rods can help a lot of people. You know, I always tell every everything I've done in the past year when it comes to, you know, whether I'm doing a fly tying demo or an interview or whatever, I always advise people, try it. If you've got hand issues, you got elbow issues, got tendonitis, cartilage issues, arthritis, take the fiber rod. Become more proficient at your cast. Don't have to cast more. You just have to cast more precise and less. So it's it's uh it's kept me on the water for like a year and a half. And I've caught everything everything that I wanted to catch on the fiberglass rod I've obtained this year after I was with Eric. Like <laughs> I got two and I was running uh mat slip and slides, those big ones. Yeah. Big ones. Throwing so, them on that ten weight with the three fifty. Do you dig the musky deal? Um, just with those guys because yeah. they're great. Because they're buddies, they're the greatest dudes ever. So I, I do, I do fish with those guys, and they're the only ones who would I would ever go down and do that musky punishment with. <laughs> <laughs> it's pure suck. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, it's something. It's 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 a hero to zero kind of thing, you know, and everywhere in between. So one but thing, one experience. thing, one thing that I haven't asked you about, but I, I really want to. Um, a guy we had on the show, John Montana, he fishes carp with a 10-weight badass glass in Lake Michigan. Do you ever get into that? Do you ever – I see you're about the the middle knuckle on the pinky up, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm out in the, uh, you know, that V there. If you took your pinky and swung it off to the left, you know, I'm right there in that – yeah, right there. Okay. So, so, you know, yeah, it's a, they're they're very prominent fish. I kind of, I'm not going to say I quit fishing carp in about 2002, but I quit fishing carp in about 2002. Okay. So I just haven't done it, you know, as much in recent days, probably because the environment changed up here. Um, when, you know, I used to work for Kelly, we, we had, the shop was right across the street from the bay. We went out every day. We were crushing. Um, all of a sudden that water's like five feet higher. Yeah. The, so the lake's up. It, yeah. And why does so, the lake rise? And, and so now you got to actually like look for them. You can't like go along the highway and just drive, you know, on Saturday and, you know, look out and see them anymore. It, now they're like using different areas, you know, areas that I'm, you know, might need access with a boat and some, you know, I have to put in some hours now. It's not as easy as it used to be to find those swarms of them. And, and I don't know if, I don't really know what happened, to be honest. But there was, compared to back then, there's thousands of less opportunity in my mind. I mean, you used to see schools of thousands. And it's just not that way anymore. Or they moved to other areas. Okay. You know, I don't know. I just lost interest in it. And then because they became, a, a, the habitat changed, I guess I would say not completely gone they're still there you just got to put in a lot more work than i'm willing to do and i know that brown rates are going off in june you know i'll go bass fishing out there still but i won't do i don't do the car i don't count on the carp thing yeah the brown trout are way prettier said, than carp right <laughs> so russ um is there anything that we haven't hit on that you want to anything that you think we should be touching on 
I don't know. Let me think about uh well, we did the ice bit. We got the we're pretty we're rolling. I mean I know. Hey, I wanted to thank you. You were doing a fly time video, like a live fly time video, and you uh you threw a shout out to us when we were having Sadati on. Oh yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So I wanted to uh, say right. thank you for that. Oh man, you know, you have to give credit where credit's due. You know, Sadati's influence. I wish we had the kind of technology like I was saying, telling you before, when we have the you know, back then we didn't have any of that. You know, we didn't have any any of these modern materials. And, you know, Sadati's flies come from saltwater background. And, you know, some of the things that he's brought into light for all these freshwater guys and all the fly tires everywhere, really. I mean, that shank keel, the, the stack keel, all the weight balancing things, chucking those big flies on small rods. Um, he, it, that was Mark. There was nobody else who did that other than Sadati. You know, I say, so you gotta, you gotta give that shout out. That's a, you know, he influenced a lot of fly tires and a lot of anglers and opened a lot of people's eyes because he really was the first dude throwing those big flies for trout, whether we had saltwater hooks on and could never stab him or not. He still was putting those big flies out there before anybody else. So there you go. And now it's, you know, you know, double deceiver and, and everything seven inches, all of them, everybody's throwing seven inch stuff. That's one of the main reasons why I think that downsizing is very important in this day and age right now. Currently, uh, I think, you know, running smaller stuff now because everybody's running big. So, um, another fly design question from modern, or, uh, from the, the days of your and, uh, the modern times. Um, when you first started articulating flies, you're probably running mono or backing or something with two beads to hook the, the flies together. Correct. We weren't even running beads back then. Okay. We didn't have wide gap hooks. We didn't have <laughs> short shank. Good. We didn't have good hooks. We had like the Tiemco streamer hook straight eye. We had a Tiemco streamer hook down eye. The Mustad 3609, right? Right. I mean, we had meat and potato old school hooks. And the reason why the articulated fly came about in the first place had nothing to do with action. I'm going to tell you right now, when I did that circus peanut, it has nothing to do with action. It had to do with I'm a guide and I was sick of watching fish fall off. And, and you wanted more or more length, right? Well, what we did originally is we tied, you know, very similar to like, gosh, I forgot what Kelly had a crazy fly that we, we all tied these on these Kerry Stevens hooks because all okay. we wanted was a bigger fly. Right. And all we had was Kerry Stevens hooks, which were a bigger fly, a bigger hook, long shank, kind of a weird bend on there. And what we noticed is every good fish we hooked would go down river and start spinning gator rolling. Mm -hmm. And after about six gator rolls, that big long shank hook come flying back in your face. And you just watching every fish fall off, just watching them fall off. And it was frustrating. So the easiest thing that, you know, I had to convince these guys to put, you know, two hook fly together because that was like a big deal. <laughs> was then. it, was it like what not traditional? So let me just tell you that, you know, a few modern 
companies that are still in existence today wouldn't take a two hooks and put them together because <laughs> no one's ever going to pay $4.95 for a streamer. Now they're 20 something, 30 something. I paid $50 for two flies from a, from a professional fly tire. It's, it, it is what it is. I'm just saying yeah. they would not do it because of the cost. So I had to take two crappy hooks and put them together. So there was a break in the middle. That's it. That's it, all I want. Cause you didn't want the lever of the yeah. long, the long hook that's, shank. That's it. But that's why I did. Even well back then, even, you know, just getting into what you used to use, what were you using for your, uh, your articulation was a mono or using wire mono. back then? Just and mono? mono still, I still use mono. Okay. There's a reason why. If I'm not fishing your toothy critters, I don't need it. And it's going to last longer because everybody who knows, every single person who's caught about seven trout on that piece of wire back there throws the fly up on the dashboard. And then about the end of winter comes and they grab that fly and they pull it and the thing is rusted and the back end flies falls off. Now there's different wires now, but the reason why I don't use that wire is because when you get that fish on that back hook and it starts spinning around, it starts fraying that, that seven strand. And then maybe four of those strands come out and they rust through. And then next time you get two more strands that come out. So I actually think mono is more durable than wire. And um, have, the reason why I put beads on now is because the hooks are shorter and you had to have proper spacing for your hook sets. I was going to ask you know, that as well. Yeah. And have you ever, or have you played around with a, putting a shank as your articulation point, like tying a shank in on top of the front hook? On top of the front hook? Like, 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 like hooking a shank on the back hook. Oh yeah. You then, can do that. Yeah. Put, you can tie a, the just having it on the back i've done the front especially like on my some of my nighttime flies i actually tie on the shank with a back hook yeah uh, the one thing you got to remember is the middle stuff if you're tying if you're trying to tie a fly to just make it bigger and you put something only in the middle it's gonna hurt you you gotta put something off the back too because it, it, you need to have that transfer so tying just a just putting a shank in the middle is not what I would recommend I, unless you have something extremely long off the back or even a shank off the back. You know, on the single hook stuff, I'm putting the shank off the back, and that it can add articulation. I uh, I was talking um, putting a shank on front of the the hook, yes. and then tying that down on top of the next hook, like the front hook of the fly, and using that the hard metal as your articulation point in between your two hooks. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I see what you're saying, but no, I don't like the middle shank. Anything with the shank in the middle, I don't like. No, it's not in the middle. It's actually, the, just, the shank is actually connected to your front hook, and like, it's actually just your your articulation point for you to see, attach your back single hook. Single hook, shank in front, yes. Nighttime fly only. Mm -hmm. I've only done mice like that, but they it works. It does work for, for nighttime mice? Yeah. I like it on the mouse fly because that, that I'll tie my, you know, whatever style, whether you're doing a gurgler style or whatever, or even a soft tech or whatever, you can put that, you tie your fly on the shank and then have off the back end your hook. 
and that that's worked that worked for me in the past and uh but i I'm, I'm more of a two hook with a, a two hook with a bead in the middle kind of guy or a few bead in the middle and maybe something off the back end um because i just have seen Many, 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 many anglers try to cast 80 feet with those shank things uh-huh. back in the fall. And when you're in Arkansas and you're going down the river and you make a tour cast or someone in your vessel does, and the fly comes up in a big wad because they're trying to cast 90 feet with a bunch of shanks and shit hanging off their fly. It's just, it's frustrating. That's all. It's just frustrating. If you do have a lot of shanks, make sure you can cast 85 feet with it and <laughs> pull it up. Because that boat, if you're in Alex's boat, that sucker is 85 feet from that shore, man. And you got to hit that shore. <laughs> He's know, not getting any closer for you, right? No. <laughs> the fish might be 10 feet away out here. So, it, you know, I mean, that's. You know, if you could cast that distance, you're going to have you increase your odds of catching fish. That's why you do it. Can't make it comfortable because of the angler. That guy's need to learn how to cast. You know, I mean, the problem with the shanks is that when you get over a certain point and any, it's going to expose every single error of your cast. It's just going to expose it. So I do not like all that shit hanging off the fly. Sorry. No, no, that's fine. Hey, that, that's <laughs> you what know, we're, I just think it's that's just what we're here mar- for, man. <laughs> I mean, it's fine if you're 20 feet, 50 feet, 60 feet, even 70. Yeah, you can do that all day long. But once you get past and you get to a real distance on a real river with real fishing, trying to cover some real water, every one of those little things you add to that fly, you're going to have to learn how to cast each little one of those shanks going to change your cast it's going to change your fishing now it's fine if you're throwing 50 feet with you know a 10 inch chunk of wire off of it but if you're casting a eight foot leader you know trying to be stealthy for some trout that have been just massacred by the masses every foot up from that shore means that you're a little better off a little better off a little better off a little better off so keeping you out in the middle like Alex does or the better guides do is going to give you an advantage. You just got to be able to perform because they know that if they move 10 feet to the left, they're going to make it easier on you, but they just lost 10 feet of potential potential holding ground. Yeah. If you got every guy in the whole white river going 40 feet off the bank to make it easier for Billy Bob, Illinois to cast. (laughs) Why you get, why you got hate on Illinois? (laughs) All right, fine, Billy Bob, Pennsylvania. All right, but that's better. Much better. <laughs> they surely don't got no distance in their cast. You know, I mean, you, you got to back off. You got to get in that middle of that ditch. Yeah. So give yourself an extra 30 feet from the other dude. That fish never saw nothing because it's behind them. Yeah, See didn't make it out that far yet. So, yeah, so if you, you know, all that stuff that you're adding on to these flies, whether you're tying a big giant fly or a little tiny thing, you got to take that into consideration. And I saw it firsthand so many times, I can't even tell you. Well, I just tied this super whistle, you know, 17 shank, whatever the hell it is. Oh, <laughs> it looks like you couldn't cast that one 80 feet, could you? <laughs> Come back with it all wrapped up like a crystal ball. Uh, you know what? We were casting 30 feet today, and I had that happen twice. 
<laughs> good wins. The more shanks bad, the worse it gets. Yeah. Trust me. No, oh, I like seven shanks on a eight inch fly. Come on, come on, Russ. I love I, it when a ball walls up like a I've been, balls up I've like seen a little prominent wall. fly tires tie a two hook fly. Yeah. Oh sure. Lots sure. of them. After one day in the boat with Alex. <laughs> because they learn better, right? Yep. And you know what? You know what a great guide's going to tell you and a great streamer fisherman? What's that? And it comes down to that first thread wrap when you're tying that fly. He's going to say, yeah, you know, you're going to pay. It's going to expose every weakness on your fly. Arkansas will expose every weakness on your fly. And it's really about the cast because you're getting your mindset where you got to make these performance cast because the current's going and you're going five miles an hour versus two or three in any of these Michigan ditches less over here. It's, it's a different pace. You got three casts in a hundred yards of river. Okay. Yeah. And, and if you screw up one of your casts, your shit turns into a crystal ball. You've missed the entire run. And guess what? You look up river and there's three guys coming down on you already. You don't get that cast back. You might have just cost yourself a fish or your boat a fish because you added too much stuff onto your fly. And your buddies in the back of the boat are yelling at you. I'm just saying, you know, nobody's yelling at you. Alex will just throw a hat, you know, <laughs> off his foot. You know, it's, 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 a uh, it's, a uh, that'll expose some flies. That'll expose weaknesses and flies. So I, I stay away from the whole shank thing. I, I've not noticed it to increase my productivity any. And I'm also tying a lot smaller flies. I, I did. I will, I will put shanks in the middle, but I'll also put them off the end, or I'll use them strictly off the end, uh, where I have a flicker tail, you know, and I'll do something like that because it just transitions easier and it doesn't get screwed up. So whatever you put in the middle, you got to do something off the back on those. So, you know, the nighttime thing that I'm talking about, the shank and the hook, yeah. these are 30, these are 20 foot casts. Yeah. These are nothing. If you can't pick up a bass line in this modern day and age and whip it 10 feet, you know, that's, it's rope, literally rope tied to rope tied to a giant two out mouse. So it's not, you know, it's not like a technical thing. So the shank isn't that big of a deal when you're only doing 30 foot casts. You know, but that's, that's why, you know, it does move a lot better. They do move better with that shank on the surface, especially. Okay. So I do like them on the surface and the poppers, you know, poppers with a little shank in the back are, have been pretty good too. For the bass. <laughs> They're pretty all right. Yeah, a little popper with a shank in the back and a little tail coming off of that. But that's like that flicker tail idea. The same thing you can do with like any kind of single hook fly uh-huh. or double hook fly. Just put a little shank off the back, tie your rear portion on the back hook, and it's, it's pretty straightforward, easy to fish, functional. So um, I saw you on that live tying, or tying video as well. You blend a lot of brushes together. When... And how did the the brushes come into effect? And is that like your mainstay now? I I run a lot of the brushes because you can do so much with them. And the the big thing I'll use blowbug yarn and and wool and craft too. But the the big thing is with the brush is it eliminates that whole 
hacking some deer hair fly together, you know, at 1030 at night when you just got home because you needed an olive one because your dude threw it in a tree. So when your dude throws your hair fly into a tree, it's easier to wrap a brush on the front of it than to cut and hack all this hair apart. And you still get the exact neutral buoyancy stuff. You know, any of the, like the Lafkus flies or any of those, uh, whatever, like the bulkhead stuff, tandem, whatever. You can wrap that. You can play with your weight. You know, we, we always, always, always with these brushes, I will use multiple weighting systems with them. So you can, you can do with or without, you know, eyes. You can do chains. You can do lead on one side of the hook two sides of the hook, a few wraps, you know, there's countless ways you can weight these flies with just lead and brush. And it's, like I said, it's just, it's a guide resource. I'll call it that. It's a guide resource because it doesn't cost you a bunch of time, effort, or sleep. Yeah, man, I can see the benefits of it. And like I said, there's so many different brushes out now that you can do so many different things. You sure can. It's really, uh, you know, any fly that I tie, you can do with a brush. Any fly that, any pattern that's already available, you can do with a brush. You know, basically take a whistler, right? Dan Blanton's famous fly, right? The flash tail whistler, right? Yeah, whistler. What is it really? Okay, well, now the guy's put a piece of deer hair on the front and called it something different. Really, they took the eyes off, put deer hair on there. Uh-huh. Well, you know, still a whistler. Uh, <laughs> I don't care. But you could do that same thing with a brush, eliminating the deer hair, right? And making your fly semi-buoyant by putting a little strips of lead on the shook shank or a few wraps of O2-5. You know, you can play with the weight. You got to. Because really, the whole point of tying a fly is tying a weapon. All you're doing is tying a weapon. You know, you're, you got to tie your based on what you would be functional, you know, filling boxes and having hopes and dreams and grandeur and all that other stuff. Well, you know what? All those 10 inch flies that you tied ain't going to help you now. This bluebird sky and 38 degrees out here. Good luck with those. What if you booked your only trip to Michigan and this is what you're faced with? Oh, you're sweating it you're, as much as, uh, you're as yeah, you're Russ done. is. Oh, <laughs> it's over. So, you, you know, knowing these things going in, you, you, you got to just be versatile. You got to have it in your mind that you're going to tie with a purpose um, because there's really, you know, you really are just tying a weapon. That's all. And, and it's not, you know, I, the most effective flies are the ones that you were on the day that you went to the river, you took your medicine, maybe, maybe you suffered a little bit. Maybe you had a couple looks, maybe you saw nothing, but you're going to learn from that experience. You're going to make your fly one notch better the next day. So really fly tying, angling, guiding, it all comes down to, you know, it's really the last great advantage you have over the fish. I've said this before. I'll say it again. If everything's equal, you got five guys, you can pull them right off the street. They might not even ever cast in their life. They might have never hold a rod. They might hold the thing upside down. Doesn't matter. If all things are equal, the only advantage you have is a fly. It's what the fish sees. Yeah. So if you're going to a fly store and you give, you know, 
taking away, taking, making everything constant. You can also include rowing into there because that's huge too, but we'll skip that one for that, for the moment. But yeah, if, if everything's equal on a boat with people off of the street, never, nevers, the only advantage you really have is a fly. So the last thing I'm going to do is grab something out of some bin that a hundred other boats have. You know, what if my guy only casts 15 feet? You better hope you had a good fly on there because that's all you have. He better not book a trip with Alex, right? <laughs> I, I don't think he'd be in the running. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that, you know, I always say that about, you know, the guys that are hard on guys and the reason why other guys really love them. Uh-huh. And because, you know, if Alex gets a guy that had been in my boat, he knows that that guy's been through the rigor. <laughs> he knows. I, I'm there are people that aren't for everybody and I am definitely one of those people. I am not the, you know, I'm straight business. Like I'll say, why are you going to do this to me? <laughs> That's what you're going to do. You're going to come up here to Michigan and you're going to cast like that. <laughs> you, you, you I mean, come up here, be hung over. Hey, all these guys that go hunting, big game hunting. Oh, I'm going to go to the great Rockies and I'm going to shoot the big horn. Well, you telling me you're not going to take that gun and start getting on your walking shoes and start putting on your boots that you're going to wear on that trip. You're going to walk up and down. You're going to put in some work before you go there. You're not just going to like, Oh, it's just a fishing trip. So, you know, no big deal. No, no, this, this isn't, you know, fantasy land out here. This isn't like Johnny Morris theme park. These fish are tough. You know, these, these fish are tough up here and, you know that good guides are going to make good anglers, and and that's that's what you, you know, when you get pushed a little bit, you're going to be better, or you're going to realize the work it takes and never do it again. And, <laughs> and you know that's that's the truth. That's the truth of it. And you could candy coat stuff all day long. Oh, I did great and this and that, and you could do that, and you could take someone for thousands a year. But. Are, are they going to get any better the next time? You know, a little bit of suffering has to take place. And I like the guys that suffer on some boats because it makes them better. You know, I'm not the guy you're going to come to and expect to, you know, pats on the back and, you know, here's your puppy. You know, this is, this is fishing. This is going to take some time. I put my whole life into this. You know, I expect a little bit of performance little bit of practice before you go on your big hunt to the big horns. You're going to make sure your gun shoots straight. You're going to make sure you put in the work necessary to get to the top of the mountain to shoot the thing. You know, you, you're not getting in a helicopter and flying out there and getting off the thing and plugging the thing and putting it back in the helicopter and flying away. <laughs> you know, that's not the way this works. You know, so I've, I've always, and Kelly told me that he's like, all these guys come out there and they don't, you know, they go on their hunts and they walk with their rifles and they shoot the thing every week. And, you know, they, they get themselves in shape to do this. But when it comes to like a, a steelhead trip, they're just like, ah, it's just a steelhead trip. Well, don't you think that matters too? Yeah, it does. You know, I'm not, you know, if, if I'm going to row based on performance, based on effort, and it's okay to fail. The bottom line is, is that, you, you know, if you, as long as progression occurs, all guides are going to work with that. 
you know, all guides are going to work with that. I wish you would have talked to me about this before I took my trip to the Delo Upper Delaware River in Pennsylvania. You should have told <laughs> me that. Before you go out there and try to dry fly fish, you should probably practice dry fly fishing a little, you jackass. It's not that easy, and 20s just don't eat on top all the time. Wait, wait, Jason, you, <laughs> you, you're a professional trout angler, though. No, it's fuck no, I'm not. It's tricky. It's humbling if you're not oh, in tune sure. with it. Better oh, yeah. know those long-range reach casts. You better learn how to go drag free for 80 feet. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I, you know, I mean, Alex guides on the Osable too, and you know that's a lot bigger ditch than what I deal with on the upper water. But man, you can get Hogan Browns rising up on these Hendrickson's, mm -hmm. you know, and and you're not parking 20, 30 feet away from them. No, if you, you park, can't. If you drop an anchor 60 feet away, that fish is gone. Yep. So you better be 70 feet. You know, the farther away you can present that fly, the better off you are. So, you know, that it's it's not an easy game. It's not an easy game. And then you add sunshine, pressure, you know, all the new people that got stimulated. <laughs> you know, just it's it's a it's a battle. And that's why I'm, you know, I'll I'll do the smaller thing too. That's you know, I run the smaller flies. You know, counting and there's more fish rising than there ever has been, which is crazy. Because it's like they don't even care about the streamer. They're too shell shocked after the onslaught that occurs every weekend. Did yeah. they get stimulated as well? Did they get stimulated? I, they actually got left alone for a little bit this year. They closed some places, you know, like they, they closed the power boating, which was big. Unfortunately, this ice fishing season probably just eradicated a whole season of, you know, procreation for these fish. But, you know, it actually changes the fisheries, the more ice fishing pressure that occurs on some of them. Um, and but the steelhead had a go of it, so you'll probably see about four years from now it'll be a pretty good steelhead run. I don't know about this year yet. Water's not quite above, you know, thirty-eight yet. It's not here. not to your likings yet. No, it's not. Next next week's got some potential. About the twenty-second. I'm patient. I can wait till the twenty-second, maybe. <laughs> no, I'm lying. I'll go fishing on Tuesday. Yeah, you'll go fishing. You suffer through it. I'll suffer. <laughs> Just to say, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me. You'll find you know, some that. buddies, take them out, look for some fish, you know. <laughs> um, Wave. Do the clean. See all, see all my friends anchored up on the hordes. Hell yes. <laughs> Hell yeah. Go casting through them. Maybe get a bite, maybe not. But yeah, any of that street, any of the steelhead, any of the salmon is giving you a streamer pole and you're turning and turning you loose more than likely. I mean, I'll do the indicator, but not very often. I think maybe about the last three days of my season, typically, like in that winter zone. Yeah, you'll do it, but under protest. Oh, man. <laughs> basically, basically, what happens is you go down that river and you're fishing and it's all good and it's perfect and you're going day after day and then all of a sudden there's a day where you're like, what the hell's the matter with my anchor? Oh, I can't pull it out at the boat ramp to even get it in. Oh, it's frozen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's about it. You know, and it's like if you're, you know, when you're casting about if it gets to every seven casts with a, when you have to de-ice, usually the indicator comes out for the rest of the float. Yeah. Then it's, you know, I'm, I'm going to the ice every day looking at it. <laughs> hey, my good friend. Are you, you firm yet? 
Yeah. I'm going to throw a brick out there. Is it good? <laughs> so, Russ, we've, we've had you on the phone like an hour and 40 minutes. Is there anything that we haven't hit on that you would like to? No. You guys are awesome. No, you're awesome. We love it. <laughs> I know. I love doing these. Yeah, come back anytime you ever want to, man. I, I thoroughly enjoy this. Um, If someone wants to book a trip with you this year, where do they go? Well, they can hit me up on the Face Twitter. You can find me on the Insta Twitter. You can call up the, you know, any, you can find me on, uh, you know, you can email me, Russ Madden. Uh, email is russmadden76 at gmail.com. That'll work. I may screen you heavily. I may try to distract you from ever going to Michigan and fishing with me, but bear with it. I'm just <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so if you don't if you don't want to bear that, that through is truth. <laughs> it's truth i swear to god <laughs> i am yeah, man i try to just dis- i try to deter i'm way too busy i don't want any more people <laughs> oh terrible flood locust fire <laughs> feel free to call i i will try to screen you i will you know it's not it's not always easy in this state but it will make you i'll make you an angler well man i'll make you an angler i'll make you a cast i'll make you work i'm not gonna candy coat anything you know i've had guys that fish with me for 20 years straight so it's uh you know many many days and how many so, how many boxes of flies do people need to bring if they come to fish with you well you know you know that. Don't bring anything. Whatever you, I leave at home. Yep. Well, you know, I won't say that because, you know, you could have the sentimental value. You know, maybe if you tied it with Grandpappy's last hair, you know, you can feel free and bring that one. Thank you. Well, only if it got a Packerini <laughs> tail on it. <laughs> that was awesome, guys. Be totally sick tomorrow. Don't try to dance with your fat ass, Chad. Don't wanna be a player. I don't wanna be a player no more. I'm not a player, I just crush a lot. He's not a player, he just crushes a lot. I know. <laughs> so my my boy got a just dance revolution or is this on it? Oh, Dance Dance. I don't know. It's not Dance Dance Revolution, but it's a, the new Switch one. Oh, okay. I am so glad that little dude got his mom's jeans. That little girl could shake her ass. So you're watching your wife? I, I'm wa- the game. I've watched my wife. That's how we made my son. <laughs> but he he got some moves, unlike his old man. Yeah, because when she watches you, nothing gets me. Yeah. <laughs> it dries up like the Sierra Desert, man. I yes, uh, I guess I. Uh, well, no, I was in I was in the place, the school place, and um, me and Mike Hughes and one other kid got pulled aside in, during the plays, and uh, the choreographer for the cheerleaders was our choreographer choreographer for the plays, and yeah. she pulled us aside and said, "You guys stink," and I'm like. I'm like smelling myself. Like, what do you? you know, I, I put the odor on every morning. I swear to God, she's like, you suck at dancing, and I'm like, oh, that's what you mean. I can't fix and, that. And this is, and, and it's, and you know, I don't know what it is with me because I have great beat. I'm a drummer. I have like a metronome in my fucking head. But for me to 
put that. Uh, make, you have no rhythm. No, 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 no. I have great rhythm and everything, but like for me to transfer Sitting that down. into for that for me <laughs> to, to make it move. Yeah, to transfer that into leg movements. I, I maybe I'm better now. I don't know, or maybe I just wasn't. Uh, I didn't want to look that great at it because I didn't want to be. You know. You don't want all the girls flocking and to no, it. No, I, I don't want to be stupid. You should have. You, know, you should have got all I, drunk. You know, the okay, next if day. I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, like say something like you know derogatory to some kind of people. But you know, I didn't want to be that guy. You know, I, I know what you mean. You yeah. know, so <laughs> maybe it was that. I don't know. But uh, yeah, no, I I don't move too too god awful great either, Chad. Probably better than you do. I know you have no rhythm. You're like my father. Oh, but you know what? When I get drunk, sixty five beers later, you look great. Oh, I love it. I love the dance when I'm hammered. And speaking of hammered, we're going to get hammered on May 1st. Uh, I cannot wait to get man hammered on May 1st. <laughs> Jace is going to be there with us. All three of us will be there. It's going to be a good time. I'll be hammered like you. Oh, though. I'm going to be hammered. Oh, yeah, man. I'm Dude. going to go fishing. I don't know what you guys are going I'm to I'm going do. to get I'm me. Fishing. No, hold on. One of our other friends, Justin Christofferson, will also be at. Oh, is he? Yes. Uh, are we. I don't know if we should mention the. Uh... We have to I don't think he's is. your friend. Who, Justin? Just or, uh, <laughs> or, or Nobody. Fucking, None or, of us, <laughs> fucker. <laughs> Nobody likes me. Uh, uh, no, our buddy, our buddy Ryan Evans and his beautiful, beautiful wife, to our be. future wife, Jam, uh, Jamie. Uh, awesome couple. Just great people. I can't wait to go to that wedding or reception, the party. I'm I'm gonna be dressed to impress and ready to get drunk. So yeah, man. Uh, I know all of our all of our good fishing friends will be there. It seems like I've talked to you know us three that are sitting at the table, and our good buddy Justin Christopherson will be there too. Just talked to Justin. He said he'll probably be doing what we're doing, heading up that morning. I don't think we're gonna head in the day before and fish or anything. Probably not. I'm. I'm just along for the ride, man. Yeah, our, our wives have our wives exactly. have already planned this together you, with Jamie. You guys so. do what your wives do. Yeah, so yeah, that's I, what we're gonna I'm do. I'm going fishing. That's go ahead. Li- I'm going to catch life. some shit. Are you gonna go steelheading? Probably, I'd imagine. I mean, there's a lot to do. I, I imagine by then there be some bass showing up and stuff. But oh yeah, I want to go to the big river. I mean, I'm getting that close. I could smell it. I better take my ass there, man. I mean, right. It's we're going to go to Buffalo. What's a, another 40 minutes? I'll be there. So that's if I if I get a couple of days in before. I know he would like to go fishing before, so maybe I'll be able to get in early. And if he ain't got too much shit going on, sneak out and do something with him beforehand. Because I think he's they're going to be straight out of there and on to Honeymoon make, make babies or whatever. There you go. I don't know. But no, congrats to those guys. It's gonna be a great time, as Chad and Jason forecast it with oh, all yeah. their booze drinking. Oh, <laughs> forecasting! It's just—I mean, it's gonna be a great time. You, oh, already, yeah. you already know that. Oh, so. I know. It. Good people. It'll, you know, I'm sure. Just seems like it'll be fun. I've been pumped. Hell yeah! I went there in November. Talked Jamie into giving me an invitation. There you go. I was like, "Hey, how you doing?" You're making she, it. She, she even gave me the early invitation. You know, the the we have both of their uh, the magnets on the fridge. Mm-hmm. You know, we got so, them too. Yeah, better believe it, man. So Ryan, we a, got you on the fridge, bro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, their their engagement pictures came out really nice as well. So good to see. It should be fun. I cannot wait. I'm gonna be man. I want. A bunch of rum and coke with extra lime. Well, listen. Uh-huh. Oh, I can, uh-huh. yes. I can already you, taste the juice. Okay. Before you go get all drunk, we've never met his child. 
So I've I met his kid before. What uh, are you talking about? Okay, so she knows you're the dickhead with the big nose, or no, what? No, she has no idea that I'm the dickhead <laughs> okay. with the big nose, but she well, knows who I am. She's not, seen me before. Let's not turn into those guys. Oh, okay. well, we we well, are my, very good at holding our alcohol and my having My dad's fun. friends, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a scene, man. <laughs> That's all right. Your wife will apologize for you. Yes, yes, they will. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry you invited us. My husband is such an asshole. If it's anything like the last <laughs> wedding I went to, Chad will be half naked with just a vest on. But you know what? I drank 18 and gin and juices and, and, my, and held my composure together better than three quarters of the people there. <laughs> and my wife will be flashing people. What was there? Con- <laughs> was there a contest? <laughs> well, no, your your wife and I will be comparing side boob. Yeah, you're there. I won. I won. Yes. <laughs> and my wife's flashing people with her spanks on at the last oh, wedding yeah, we went to. Yeah, that was awesome. That was good times. I mean, Jesus, who gives a shit, right? At this point. Oh, well, I mean, nobody's gonna know you tomorrow, right? <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. Not after that. But uh, that's gonna be a great time. Looking forward to it. So, do we have anything else we want to hit on, boys? Yeah. yeah next yeah, week, no, man. Get out. Go ahead. It's probably gonna be what you're saying uh let's get the kids out there it's gonna be an early is that next week youth, no that's two weekends from now next week we're going to be fly swinger i want to talk about youth fishing coming up so march please. 27th yeah, is the uh the two, youth is it a two day right is it it's two different days um the one the one day is after it is the a Saturday season opens oh it is i know the opening day for the kids the mentored youth day one week is no it's two weeks from now it's uh, March 27th. Um, you have to go out and get your kid. There's a like a little voucher license type. Yeah, license. yeah. I think it's like a dollar and a half or something. You have to have a license yourself if you're going to take a youth. Um, make sure if you're going to be mentoring somebody, you have your license as well. But you're allowed to fish. The youth is allowed to fish, and they're they're that's what they want. You could take two you know? kids per adult yep. and uh, have a blast. Get your yeah. can of corn, maybe some Mike's Atlas Mike's, some Power Bait. No, mm. take a kid with a Joe. You know, here, here's what I like. Oh yeah, get them on, on the spinner game. It's Rapala. a lot. Well, for a younger kid, I I've noticed that it's a lot harder for a kid to react to an indicator. To a yeah, to an indicator going down than it is if they throw a spinner or a Joe's fly or a Meps or any of these small little any spinner. The spinner that works good. The Joe's flies I like the best because you can. I'm gonna wait, tie a bunch up for because that because you could weight them accordingly on your fly, on your line, not your fly line, but your line, their mono or whatever it be. Yeah, put split shots yeah, on. Yes, exactly, and you could you can weight them accordingly to the how much uh, current is going down the river at the time. I just went down to the river with my daughter, so I just checked our little local that we go to every year. We caught a big brown out there last year, and and Chad the year before caught a fucking two foot rainbow. You know, with the kids there. I felt bad for that, but... And it was awesome. We ate it. it yeah, was, we, we did. not kind of feel bad. You, you ate it, and we did no, the but right I, thing. I wish one of the kids would have caught it. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> they weren't throwing a fucking trout magnet. They okay? wouldn't have been In, as happy as you. No, they wouldn't have been. You just seen your kids. face, man. <laughs> but I went down there. There's a fucking... At least an 18 to 22, I don't know. We were just looking at a big yellow bar. I don't know how big it was. I didn't have it close to me, but it bars was Bars of gold. It, there were two bars of gold right there. And I saw another fish who had some discoloration to his tail, but he was also big, or she, whatever it was, was decent size. So you mean fin you rot? Know, like, like, like we talked about with our, like when we talked with Pogo, and and the excitement and enthusiasm that he showed for those that first day, like. I get pumped to take the kids out. I get pumped to see my daughter go out, man. Even like just to, just to watch that fish. She had a fish last year 
because the first day got opened up early. She didn't even catch it, but she watched this this trout turn sideways three times after this after this Joe's fly, and you could just see she's just swelling up inside and like, oh, did you just see that? Are you watching that too, Dad? And I'm like, yes, I'm watching it too, right beside you. you know? I and, see it, baby. <laughs> like so, the, that that kind of fun, you know, and that stuff, like yeah, it. That's like what we talked about calling each other and. Those young moments in yeah, our lives yeah. and, and trout fishing, they no, they they are what changed us there. for now. Well, I mean, they'll get there. You they'll know? soon want to be more part in that. Oh, stuff. sure. It, over time, I don't think it's like ever going to be like when we were kids. But uh, one day, we're a different breed of people. But yeah, it could be, be. It could be. We just have to instill it in our kids, like my dad um, did. I've worked Saturdays for the last seven years. This is the first one I get to go to. It'll be fun, man. It's the first one. We'll I, make sure it's fun. You took Pam out. Two years ago, and then last year it didn't happen. It's unfortunate. Well, make sure Pam still comes. Where'd you go? Trout fishing? <laughs> wait, wait, what? <laughs> well, I shouldn't have said that. Make sure Pam still is still there with you. It's still present. Yeah, it's still present because uh, <laughs> she she's uh, she's always fun to have around as well. Your mother-in-law is uh, uh, a decent looking woman there. We can't can't beat her. Uh, you guys, you, I mean, you wait, you, you haven't been to, you hey, haven't hey, been Jace, to, Jace made I, the Jace made the. the uh, I think you were the one who made up the hot Pam. Yeah. Why not? I'm not a nice guy. <laughs> anyway, no, you'll <laughs> park. I mean, there's several areas to take your kids. And then, you know, hopefully if you don't have the resources, there's going to be maybe somebody there that could help you out. And it's a little bit easy for travel for our local yeah. folks. You yes. know what I mean? we got a park. You could pretty much access to a little lake with. A good stock, number of yeah. stock trout, yeah. potential for palominos and things like mm -hmm. that. And there's so, bass in there too. Yeah, no, there's other fish. You you get worms Bluegills. or whatever. You you'll you'll catch fish, no doubt. Sure. So, yeah, easy fishing, and that's going to be the 27th. Seventh. So yep. one week before the regular opener, which is now statewide, April third. Yeah. I like that, man. Yeah, it's back, kind of back to the old ways, but that's the date for the rest of the state versus how it used to be the second so like the, week of the, yeah. of April. The second well the, the, the southeastern yes. portion was dated earlier. Always first. Well, the reason they did that was because of how fish moved when they stocked them. They felt I don't know what the difference was or why really, but they had a two weeks earlier start date. I, th I think weather-wise, too, but I don't know that for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, there was science behind it, you know. So so instead of two opening days, back to a... a you We're know. Cons a conjoined state You now. know, yeah. I think yep. they noticed last year that if in the western part of the state, if they open up earlier, it's not going to affect the fishing as much, which I think they thought maybe it would have before, maybe because of the cold, maybe because of this or that, but... It really didn't. Like last year, they opened it up even a week earlier before the youth fishing day, and I went out. My daughter went with me. We we I caught thirty. What well, was fish. it? March last year? Yeah. Oh nope. no, it was still early. April. It was early, early April. But yeah. it was on like a Tuesday before the mentored youth day. We didn't mm -hmm. even have a mentored youth day last year. Last year was weird though. Yeah. Hopefully nothing like that ever happens True. again. But in I our mean, lives. even with the weather thing again, <laughs> like I took my daughter out. We took we caught thirty fish that yeah. day plus a big brown. I went out to know? that same spot after work because you you were lucky enough that you had. 
weren't working. Yeah, yeah I got we. I, I, I went. There were thirty cars there. I was yeah, like, uh, yeah. We're not doing this, buddy. We'll go fish a pond. Jace, yeah, Jace called me at eight o'clock in the morning. I called my dad. He's like, I'm like, what are you doing, dad? He's like, buying your daughter a new fishing pole. I said, okay, well, we got to use it today. He said, I'm not going to work at all. <laughs> First, he just, he just came out to me, and we just went straight there. He no called no shed. Oh, <laughs> after forty years, what's the matter yep. anyway? Right? He's the boss. This He's would be boss. well, other than last year, probably the earliest trout season that. For and us, you said, but but you know what else that means? Our first day's on third. Well, that's a stinky burp, bro. Oh, isn't it bad? That's it smells like beef sticks. Oh yeah, or, that's or all that gas today. Or cum. But you you know what else is nice about that? Now we get to fish the the stock streams for other species as well. Earlier, earlier yeah, than what we ever would have. Yeah, because we we were never allowed to go pike fishing or smallmouth fishing on the streams that were stocked with trout in Pennsylvania. Oh, so, it was funny. And now that First day. Now we're allowed to earlier. Yeah, because getting to uh, fish a little earlier last year, even seeing some of the... I was fishing a stock trout stream, or one of our locals, and I was seeing... And it's, it was a freezing cold day. I was out there in the afternoon by myself. I just went because it got above freezing. And this is during the Rona, and they'd opened up the season. I'm watching these trout jump out of the water. And I hear something splash, like somebody threw a rock, and I'm looking the fuck around, like, what in the hell is happening? There's nobody around. I'm by myself, you know, uh, the one good, really good spot, and I'm like, what the fuck? I hear it again. I'm, like, looking around again. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? This is just killing me. Like, I'm looking, look, all of a sudden, I see, like, a rainbow jump, like, two and a half feet out of the water and just splash down, and I'm like, oh, 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 there's a pike. There's a pike back behind him. Yeah. Basically forcing Chasing him, him. the Ow. seven to ten, whatever, 20 fish around him. Just to jump out of the water because they got nowhere else to go. Yeah. And I was like, oh, and I tried throwing out, throwing out, throwing out, but didn't to no avail, but the air is the only safe space. Yeah. It was <laughs> it was pretty cool to see though. I'm like, wow, to watch those fish just they were jumping clean out of the water. You know where we stand? And mm-hmm. there's a tree that's down right there? Yeah. I saw a pike sitting right beside that last year. That was it wasn't far from there. Yeah. Yeah. Great spot. But yeah, it was Good times Thumbs last up. year. Yeah, it was <laughs> awesome. It was it was uh, that was always that was fun, and I don't think that affected the fishing too much being a little earlier. But I saw I got to see two gold bars, man. They're there. Oh, I can't wait to get the kids catch one of them things. If the Amish don't fish them out there first, I'm gonna go there every day after work and scare away the Amish kids. Just go Throw stand there and watch. You better not be stand there with a the camera. You That's all bet, you gotta do. You better not, but yeah, they don't like their picture taken, right? <laughs> no, it's not that they don't like it. It steals their soul. Yeah, well, I, that's, I, dude, I tried to get a selfie with the guy before Kids I threw my... religion, for I, Christ's sake. What before I launched you? my phone into the water today, I uh, tried to get a selfie with one of them, and he wasn't feeling me. I got a selfie with you today after you launched your phone into the river. Yeah, so we've <laughs> mentioned it a few times on the podcast. I'm going to post it tomorrow. I launched my fucking <laughs> phone into the river. Jace texted me about the river getting lowered yesterday, and I didn't notice it. And I looked at my phone, and I, oh, Jace, I blah, 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 and I looked at it, and then I checked Threw it. The then I checked it. Away. Then I checked it, and I kind of went to put it back in my turn around and put it back in my, uh, my waders, and bounced off my... Uh, my life vest? Yeah, my life vest. There you go. I have an inflatable, nice little life vest we have to wear until fucking April. Oh, you, whoever wears that next is going to be pissed because I had to make it big. You fucking anorexics were wearing that little bitty life vest. I couldn't oh, fit yeah. it on me. <laughs> <laughs> the other one, yeah. So, yeah, so my phone went, and I, I as I'm like watching because I just clicked it and I could see like my saver screen, which is like me holding the brownie. And I watched it 
float and wave down to me, and I, I, I rolled up my sleeves and grabbed the net and tried to Chad immediately drop the anchor, and I don't think we moved too far. No. And uh, I tried scooping it. I got a rock that was, I mean, seriously, it was eight inches or whatever it be, seven inches long and four inches wide and flattered and fucking shit. Looked just like a fucking phone. And I'm like, I got it. I got it. And I pulled it up and it's a fucking rock that looks like a phone. And uh, it was, uh, I couldn't, I scooped like three more times. My arms started turning really, really red, pink, <laughs> like I was going to get hypothermia later. Um, and my sleeves are a little wet, and I'm you like, wouldn't even drink beers with me after that. No, you were I, super salty. I was fucking <laughs> pissed, dude. Not, no, I was not happy. That fucking sucked. Kind of like the day Slater dropped my camera in the water. Oh yeah, I remember that day too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then you got a nicer camera, that, which I'm gonna get a nicer phone tomorrow. So. That river yeah. claims things, man. It, it does. does. It's river tax. Yeah, that's the river tax. I paid it. I better catch a big fucking fish out of there this year. So, boys, we're good. We got anything else we got? That's it, man. Wrap it up. All right, man. Hey, tonight's show being brought to you live by the Urban Fly Company Studios. Check Mark out at urbanflycompany.com. And one more thing. If you want a Urban Fly Company flies in about a month and a half, about a month, you'll be able to get them from the Muskie Fool. Uh, Dan Donovan at muskiefool.com. He'll be carrying some of uh, Mark's flies. Sims Fishing. Fish it well. Simsfishing.com. Predator fly gear. Yeah, I went out of order, man. That's okay. <laughs> we don't got orders here, buddy. Hey, check our boy Ryan Evans out. QueenCityGuiding.com. Eric's Hooks. If you're going to tie, tie in an Eric's Hook. Eric'sHooks.com. Yeti. Why not fishing? And they're at the dock. I was going to say one more thing, but now I forget. Tired.